It's time for another packed bisexual brunch. This time with Lewis Oakley, Samantha Baines and Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So, another bisexual brunch, and we've uh, lots of things coming up. We've got bisexual journey stories to come. We've got our bi-icon series. This time we're hearing about the First World War poet Siegfried Sassoon. And, of course, we've our Ask a Bisexual feature later on, and quite an intriguing question for us all to answer as well. Lewis is here, as, as always, and we're joined once again by comedian, actor, and writer Samantha Baines. Now, last time you were on, Sam, you were at the very early stages, or certainly early stages anyway, of um, being pregnant for the first time. And now you're at the sort of latter end of it. And I gather it's been quite an eventful pregnancy for you. Is that right? Yes, I I am now what I describe as very pregnant, um, as if you can get various stages of pregnant. Um, But I'm huge and I have gestational diabetes, which is a type of diabetes that you can get in pregnancy, but then goes away when you have the baby. And I also have pelvic girdle pain, which is very uncomfortable and means that I'm at a chiropractor once a week and I can't walk for more than six minutes precisely. I've timed it. Grief, honestly, but it's all worth it. Well, we'll see, but fingers crossed it is, yeah. <laughs> but you've been been—you've also been working, haven't you? You've been doing stuff as well in the run-up to... Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, soon to be on maternity leave, but yes, I've been trying to work as much as possible. I've been doing a bit of filming, been doing some talks, but everywhere I go, I ask for a comfy chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when is the baby due? The baby's due in January. Right, okay. And do we know it's a boy or a girl? Yeah, it's a girl. Right, okay, okay. Excellent, excellent. And you're looking forward to it? Yes. I'm looking forward to being able to eat sugar and skip around and walk for seven minutes and also have a baby, yeah. Now, you were telling me before we came on air that um, – um, well, we were talking about just generally because we were talking about bisexual, bisexuality, obviously. We were talking about the experience of being pregnant and bisexual. Now, this wouldn't necessarily automatically come up, but um, it has come up, hasn't it? It's in an indirect way. Yeah, so I'm in a relationship with a man now. Uh, we're not married. I was married before and then got divorced. And um, it's it's just very interesting going to you know, lots of these mummy meetups with other pregnant women. And immediately everyone asks you what your husband does. And number one, I'm not married. Um, 
And number two, I don't know, I just feel a bit like, well, that's an assumption (laughs) that I'm with a man straight away and you've never met me before. You know, some of these people haven't even asked my name yet, but straight away they're like, oh, you must be married and you must be married to a man to be having a baby. Um, And obviously we know, you know, physically what needs to happen to have a baby. But obviously, you know, I I have a friend at the moment who's doing IVF with her wife and um, the two of them are a lesbian couple and they're going to have a baby. And, and it just, it really makes me think, you know, what is this going to happen to them when they go to these mummy meetups and everyone goes, what does your husband do? And um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one as well because I am bisexual and I am in a relationship with a man. I I feel like I can't say, well, actually... I'm having a baby with a woman because I'm not. Have, but you I still... tempted, have you been tempted to say something? Have you said anything? Yeah, I've definitely been tempted um, to say something like, oh, that's a bit of an assumption that I'm with a man. But then also I am going to these mummy meetups to try and make friends. So I don't want to be rude straight off the bat. But So what I've tended to do is sort of work it into the conversation later that I'm bisexual. So it doesn't feel like a direct, uh, actually, uh, reply. How's that been met? How have they reacted to that? I think mostly people just blink a few times and then (laughs) carry on with whatever else that they were saying. I don't think. I think one other mum was like, yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, great. Um, But yeah, mostly just quiet blinking and then carry on. Is that anything you've ever come across, Lewis? Because obviously, again... People assume that you're straight, don't they? Yeah. Um, well, not really, because, you know, I I feel a bit robbed because when we had Maisie, we were in the middle of a lockdown. So we never got to do any of those fun little classes you see people doing like on the telly where, you know, we're all holding each other and like doing breathing and all that kind of stuff. So we didn't get to do any of that. So never really had that experience. And then because... We'd had Maisie and we had Hugo. There's no real point going back and doing the classes because I mean, literally just did this like a year ago. <laughs> we don't need the classes. So I was robbed of it all. Um, You've been robbed of speaking your mind, Lewis. I know. Um, I do. You like to speak your mind. <laughs> like to speak my mind. Um, but no, I agree with you about the whole, you don't want to go in like, I'm a bisexual, slap them in the face. Like <laughs> waiting for the right moment and having letting them have their few blinks is probably the right course of action, I'd say. <laughs> and what does your partner make of it, Sam? Because obviously he knows you're bisexual and he's happy with that. And, you know, does he does he see it as an issue? Does he ever talk about it, mention it? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's normally, you know, at the sort of mummy meetups that it happens. So he's not there because it's all just mums. I don't think anyone's sort of said it in front of him. And also, I guess when I'm with him, I feel a bit less like they're just making an assumption because they they can see me with, you know, a male presenting partner. Um, but, yeah, no, I think he's just, you know, I, I tell him the stories and he's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> he's pretty chill. <laughs> this brings us on to a, a little topic, doesn't it, that um, I think you'd, you'd seen earlier on about the whole issue of people being told who are bisexual, often being told, Oh, um, you don't look queer, or you don't look gay, or you don't look. But oh, you ooh, don't don't. And I get that quite. A lot. I've always got that actually. When people say, "Yeah, but 
but, but you, there's nothing about you that's, are you gay or bi or whatever? And, and, um, you spotted something in a, an article about, um, a lady, I think from India, was she, who's, who's been talking about this experience? Tell us about, about that. Yeah. So it, it was a really interesting article because she was talking about realizing she was bisexual later in life. And, um, and at the time she was living in India where, and in it, it where she was living it was legal um to be bisexual and queer but it still wasn't something that was widely accepted or talked about so um obviously living in in that culture she talks about being kind of being able to pass as heterosexual is useful because it is still such a taboo issue um, and and then she's come over to the UK and living here now, and people saying to her that she doesn't look gay or look bi, and and when she explored that, it was the fact that she dresses in quite muted colours and like black and isn't kind of wearing the rainbow and loud and proud. And I mean, obviously, I'm someone that loves to wear bright colors i mean not obviously because this is a podcast but if anyone's seen me on instagram they know i love a bright color um so it's not that i'm like me too i love muted colors but i just think that's so interesting that it's almost like there's this uniform that you're meant to wear if you're queer or bisexual or part of the community and that you know she even says like she doesn't have a nose piercing (laughs) i do and she only has her ears pierced once i've got them pierced twice on both sides and she doesn't wear bright colors and um i just thought that was a really interesting take because i've actually been told i look gay so when i was married to a man previously um people were actually shocked when they'd met me because they just assumed I was gay. Obviously they never assume you're bisexual. They assume you're gay or straight. Um, but so I, I'm sort of coming it from the opposite end of things that sometimes people are surprised, not other pregnant mums aren't, but sometimes people are surprised I'm with a man. I'm, su- I'm surprised because I would have assumed people would have thought you were straight actually, to be honest. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Lois, what about you? What do people assume about you? I think it depends who you meet. I think people project what their world is onto you. So straight people tend to assume you're straight and gay people assume you're gay. And I kind of think things like that and are probably about a 20% margin of difference in there. But I'd say sort of, you know, you meet straight people, they automatically assume you're like them and gay people just won't have it that you're that you're bi. I mean, you could literally tell them I'm bi and show you a video of like you having a threesome. They still wouldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it? It's true. It's true. It's, it's quite, well, it's obviously very, very annoying. Very annoying. Now, there was something else in this article, wasn't there? Um, she talks a little bit about uh, her experiences with relationships and things and, and trying to meet people. And, and um, she talks about a particular something that had hit her badly, I think, which was um, unrequited love. So. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's the way she came out is she realised she was in love with one of her best friends who was a woman too. And she, you know, told her best friend and her best friend didn't feel comfortable with it and she ended up losing the friendship. But as she says in the article, it she also found her 
bisexual identity. So it wasn't all sad. Um, but yeah, I think we've all experienced the pain of unrequited love. And also, I, I feel like in my life, I've had a lot of unrequited love where people don't necessarily fully say nothing's going to happen. They keep you sort of dangling for ages. And then I'm waiting there, hoping that one day, like, you know, they called me when they were drunk that time. So that must mean that actually they're in love with me. And, you know, all of those things that you convince yourself and hope for. And yeah, I mean. Yeah, have you, have you had quite a few instances of, of the user? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they were all love. I think I'm. I'm a. I'm. I'm an. I'm a bold decision making person. So when I like fancy someone, I'm like all in on the fancying. So maybe more of like infatuation rather than love. But especially when you're younger, you feel like every infatuation is like the greatest love. So yeah, I feel like I've had, and and you know also this when I was a teenager and stuff, that was before I'd really fully realised I was bisexual and kept deciding that I had to be straight because I wasn't gay. So I think I had a lot of those with women, but I didn't have the language to know what that was yet. So I just had these really intense relationships with women that I felt like I wasn't getting what I wanted back from it, but I didn't know what I wanted at the time. Um, but also with older men, I always used to really fancy older men and then they'd be like, no, you're too young for me. Anyway, you know, at the time it was like a year and a half because that matters when you're like 19. Did you find though there were some people that it was it was literally just um, a, a, a crush that you had and you never really did anything about it at all? It was just there. It was like a fantasy world kind of thing. I found that a lot when I was when I was a, a teenager. I didn't yeah. do anything about it. They were just just there in my thoughts more than anything. Yeah, I don't think I ever told any of these people that I fancied them or wanted anything to happen. I think there was a lot of time when I was um, at secondary school, like at that sixth form age, there were a lot of people that I had, as I said, these intense relationships with where we'd talk on the phone for like four hours every night. And then I'd be like, oh, my God, we must be in love. But then nothing would ever happen you know, physically or sexually, or we'd just talk a lot and be in each other's lives really intensely for like six months and then it would peter out. Um, so those were sort of my unrequited. I remember like getting off the phone from them after four hours and being like, you know, dreaming of our happy ending together <laughs> and well, then nothing what, happening. What about you, Liz? Because again, being bisexual, the, 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 the obsessions with, or, you know, the crushes with, men or women happen at different stages, don't they? What, what was your experience? Yeah, you know what? Thinking about it and hearing you guys talking, I am thinking, I bet statistically bisexuals have more experience of falling for a friend and having that unrequited love experience. Because I do think we, we're in that odd little space, aren't we, where, you know, you tend to maybe have, and this is stereotyping, maybe have more straight friends um and and then there's something there or then on the gay side i don't know i can't i just kind of i can see like a lot of bisexuals being in that space where it's like well i'm in love with my friends and they don't feel the same i get a lot of uh i do get a couple of um 
questions um, on that topic to the advice column that I do as well. Um, so me personally, so I don't think I've been in love that often. So I wouldn't really say, like kind of like you said, I, not unrequited love, but unrequited like lost. <laughs> lost. So yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's not really ever been unrequited. I'm quite good at getting people in bed if I'm <laughs> like when I was single. <laughs> Skills. An 80% success rate, I'd probably say. One or two go away. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I don't really, I'd say there's no one I really think, like, look back and think, oh, what if, what of? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, so there's not, there's no one really that, like, stands out in my mind that if I, like, ran into, you know, years later, I'd be like, oh my God, what could it be? Uh, no one I feel like in an alternate universe, we're married and we're, like, having a great time. <laughs> I bet for a lot of bi people, though, people who don't necessarily, you know, not necessarily come up, come up in the past, not come across the word, or he's not in the culture at all, or, or whatever it may be, or even people, you know, people even in in in, the, in in what is relatively liberal country like ourselves. Even though I know people people who are bisexual still struggle, but I bet um, there are a lot of people who just go through that phase of having some kind of infatuation with a friend and they don't quite know what it is really they can't really put the finger on whether it's sex bisexuality side out like you know i look back at being like in school and stuff i didn't really realize i was by until i was about 19 20 um and i look back and i'm like well was i always bi and then you kind of look and you're like oh my god yes and it was you know you kind of like oh i thought that they were really cool and I wanted to be like them. I wanted to hang out with them. It's like, no, you didn't. You just wanted to kiss them and be done with it. <laughs> you didn't care about their friendship. I was talking about this with a gay friend, uh, a bisexual friend recently. And we were saying that there's still that thing sometimes of you're like, do I fancy them or just do, do I just want to like be them? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's still a like, I've got to work that out. Like, do I just like them and think they're cool? Yeah, there are one or two people, even in like now, where it's like, is it I fancy or is it just like I'm inspired by you? I can't tell. <laughs> I like your Instagram posts anyway. <laughs> I think also, I think I, over time, I've just grown this way because all my friends used to say to me, I flirt with anyone and anything, like even inanimate objects. And so now I think I just like flirt constantly as a way to be like, well, just in case, <laughs> start things off well. Well, you did. I think you said last time you were on, you said that you often uh, you often flirt with the waiters and waitresses and things like that. Is that right? You said that you were you and your partner. Oh yeah, we we have competitions. Yeah, um, no, but I think also also just generally, like if I meet a new person, I think I'm just such a flirt all the time with anyone. Because I'm like, maybe I, I've learned from my, because, you know, you seem to not have had any unrequited love, Lewis, and I've had lots of unrequited infatuation. So now I've learned that if you just flirt, obviously, from the beginning, maybe it'll work out. Wait till you're giving birth story. Like- <laughs> <laughs> what about the other way around? Have, have you had people who've... You know, the unrequited loves people have really sort of, you know, liked you and you've had to let them down gently. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've had anyone telling me that they're like fully in love with me. 
Um, but I've definitely had people sort of ask me out when I didn't expect it or tell me that they were attracted to me when I I wasn't, I was kind of oblivious. And maybe now me saying I flirt with everyone I meet is a bad thing for that. But I feel like I flirt with everyone, but I don't make them think that things can happen. I'm just trying to think. No, because I think not, I think sometimes it's more the person who's come out and said the thing, you know, and admitted to it. And then if you, obviously, I've had some really nice conversations with people, actually, who've said that to me and I've said, thank you very much. And, you know, I'm sorry, I don't feel the same. But then I think they feel uncomfortable. And then I don't want to, I haven't wanted to sort of force the issue of be like, let's hang out because I don't know then if they want to be friends or if that's going to be painful for them or weird for them. So what about you, Lewis? You, you must have had them throw, throwing themselves at you. In the, you know what? You're talking about this. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to rack my mind. And I'm like, has anyone ever told me they love me? And I was like, no, go away. <laughs> okay, come on then. <laughs> Surely there must have been somewhere I said no. I like, literally, I'm struggling to think. But, you know, like my brain does block things out that I don't want to recall. So it might be like loads and yeah. I'm just like, delete, delete, delete. I really can't think of any. I mean, there were definitely friends where it's like, you know, we both didn't pull on the night out, so let's go home together. But uh, <laughs> that, you know, that was not a, we're infatuated with each other. It was just, a, well, we're friends and young and why not? But I don't think anyone was ever sort of obsessed with me and had a shrine, unfortunately. I had a couple of people who were quite obsessive with me, actually. Um, and it was quite awkward at times. Um, but I did manage to, over time, still remain friends with them. Because I, I always felt that, although it was a bit, they were a bit obsessive and I was a bit annoyed at times was just the way it, it went, I just thought to myself, you know what? At the end of the day, they like me. There's a pot that you should think of this in a positive way, actually. And but over time, I managed to sort of it, it managed to develop from that infatuation into a friendship. And I'm still friends with them now. I'm still in touch with them now. So uh, you know, but, but but I don't think everyone could do that. A lot of people cannot cope with that. It's like their 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 tendency would be to just be antagonistic and and see them as enemies. You know, it's like you know, I mean, certainly there's quite a few gay men I've known who've been and women actually. You know, I don't know if you. Uh, found this uh, Sam that that are horrified if somebody comes up to them who finds them attractive and they don't find them attractive. It's like it's an attack on them for some reason. They're like, you know, I mean, they're like, they're, it's, it's just not right. How could that person possibly find me attractive? Because I do not find them attractive. You know what I mean? It's weird. Um, I think it's yeah. I mean, I always see it as a compliment. I think there has been. Now we're talking about it as well. There has been a couple of occasions on social media. So people who don't really know me very well, but know me through social media. And, and actually, I think possibly are coming to terms with their own bisexuality or queerness that have kind of got in contact with me and told me that they fancy me, but then sort of pushed the issue, obviously, when I've put down a, a boundary and that's been quite difficult to navigate because I think sometimes you can read that 
this person is is going through something that actually isn't really about me and how they feel about me um and of and obviously I don't want their first kind of coming out or slightly queer exchange to be horrible but then equally you know it can get to an awkward place when it gets a bit and it's also difficult difficult through social media as well have you experienced that Louis because you you've been being a bisexual activist quite a long time now that people often open up to you and things like that have you had any any of that that kind of experience well like people wanting to date me through like online well just i'll just try to take things a bit further trying to sort of you know get to know you a bit better and like i'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that but you know Um, you felt uncomfortable about it or you know I think, I don't know. So my, you know what? I'm starting to feel like I am really closed off in a weird way. Because one of my friends was like, you literally give off taken vibes like constantly. And I'm like, well, I am. And he's like, no, like literally like you wouldn't even like entertain eye contact with some people, like new people and stuff like that. I'm like, really? I I didn't mean to do it. So there are definitely times where people have messaged stuff on the bisexual stuff, like coming that way. And then I've got like, and then I've said something that's just, a bit not inappropriate but just like a bit like over familiar or slightly sexual and i've just i I don't know i just shut it down it's like it's almost like haha but and then back to what we're talking about so it's almost like it's quite hard for people to get that close where they would do that because it's just so i would just shoot it down straight away because apparently i just give off this energy of go away and now i'm really worrying because you guys have got me thinking like why have I not had an unrequited love like that? <laughs> like maybe I'm giving off some sort of reverse asexual energy where it's like people just don't see me as a sexual being um, until I instigate it. Like maybe that's like a thing that no one really just like thinks that I could be like in that zone until I put it out there. Or, or maybe because you're so giving off taken vibes, you're not seeing the signs that are there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think that's more likely. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> I think lots of people are in love with you. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, loads. And of you people. just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to say that you feel. <laughs> no, I remember what just after I got divorced, I was like, I almost in a desperate time, I almost put a Facebook message on my private profile just to be like, if anyone is secretly in love with me. Now would be a really good time to say because I really need that. Like, no, nothing will probably happen, but it'd be really nice to know right now <laughs> if someone is secretly in love with me. I didn't do it though. <laughs> well, Sam, plenty to come on bisexual brunch. We've got our ask a bisexual question, which is quite an intriguing one this time. We've got our bi icon series, uh, and in a few moments' time, we're going to be hearing from a US uh, journalist and writer who discovered he was bisexual um, while he was attending an orgy with his girlfriend. We'll be hearing all about that in a few moments. But before we before we do that, um, we've got our Bi-Icon series coming up later. There's a few things coming out at the moment about, slowly but surely, and it's, it's taken a while, but we're getting stories now, um, Sam, about famous people of the past who happen to be bisexual. That's quite a breakthrough, isn't it, in a way? Because we don't often get it. I'm not saying we're going to get lots and lots of detail, but you've got Leonard Bernstein, who's the you know the composed, famous composer, who apparently was bisexual. There's talk about Napoleon having been bisexual. Um, this is quite a breakthrough, isn't it? 
in a way. Yeah, I think it's really nice to see. And I'm also enjoying at the moment, there's um, a new trend with period dramas, which is exciting, where there's like a queer storyline. So instead of just, you know, the, the women are presented and need to find a husband and that's all the mothers care about. And then the husbands don't want to settle down, but they have to find someone. You know, there's also like, oh, yeah, also queer people existed. And I haven't seen a bisexual one yet, but hopefully it's coming. But um, yeah, I think uh, we obviously we had Gentleman Jack, the series, which was brilliant. And and I, I feel like they didn't explore bisexuality as in they didn't call it that or say it was that. But I think some of the relationships, you know, there were women who had relationships with men and as well as Gentleman Jack, who was a female but also male presenting in some of the way that she dressed. It, it seems to me that we are getting, we are, you're right, we, we, sort of but surely we're, we're getting uh, images of uh People in period drama who happen to have relationships with men and women, uh, but there's no there's no mention of it being bisexual. Mm. So that people automatically just think, oh, they're all a bit they're all a bit gay in those days, kind of thing. Yeah, we'll talk about the bisexuality, which I presume, in some respects, the word wouldn't have been used in those days. Yeah, but I think I think also it's still part of a uh, a creative a media problem in the sense that it can't. It, we as a society still struggle to deal with the word bisexual. We haven't. We don't seem to have, you know, got to the ter- to terms with it yet. I don't think, which is slightly annoying. But I think we are getting there slowly, which I think is a you know good thing. I mean, the, the big one, of course, is when somebody at some point decides to actually challenge people's notions about Oscar Wilde. You know, because Oscar Wilde was clearly bisexual, really, but everyone thinks of him as gay, don't they? You know what I mean? It's sort of. And, and Siegfried Sassoon, who were doing, uh, you know, part of our Biicon series, you'll be hearing about him later on uh, on the show. Um, there was a film recently called Benediction, and it was full of um, Siegfried uh, having relationships uh, with either Novello and very famous gay, you know, gay people of the past. Uh, but he also ended up in a relationship with a woman for like forty odd years. So, but not one utterance of publicity mentioned that he was bisexual, which is a scandal in a way. You know, you know, we're somehow we're still we're still pushing it to one side, aren't we? Yeah, and I think there's this thing about historically we see that if or or we think that if someone was gay or we know that they had relationships, affairs, slept with, say, you know, Oscar Wilde men. If they then went on to have a marriage with a woman, we assume that that was for show. And now, obviously, that was also the case. But for some people, it might have also been a love connection. And I think, you know, there's a programme at the moment called The Gilded Age, um, which I think is a Sky period drama. And there's one character that we've been introduced to as a gay character and was having a relationship with a man, and now he's courting a woman. And it's sort of talked about as a kind of cover if he marries her. But he seems genuinely interested in her. And I am kind of, fingers crossed, hoping <laughs> that it's going to turn into like a bisexual storyline of him realising he's bisexual and that, 
you know, he was in love with this man, but now he's falling in love with this woman. Yeah, I, th- I, definitely, um, I definitely think there's progress. And I gather there was a little mention of bisexuality recently in bad education and various things has been men- certain mentions of it. But but still, um, non-binary is street said. They, people who are non-binary get more coverage than bisexual people do, <laughs> which is you know, odd to me when the numbers of bisexual people are, you know, according to the figures, recent figures, you know, there's bisexual populations in a lot of the uh, English and Welsh cities are much higher than gay populations and all the rest of it. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, we're slowly getting there, aren't we, Lucy? It's slowly happening. Slowly. We're slowly getting there. Oh, it's so weird, like, listening to you guys talk on this. I just don't even know where I am on this whole argument anymore i mean obviously i want more bisexual representation on on tv but i almost think at the moment you know it's it's like with everything it's not what you do it's how you do it (laughs) you know i think that the characters have to be right i think that they need to not be performative i watched the most recent doctor who um the the first of the 60th anniversary and like I personally wasn't impressed. I felt like they tried to ram too much diversity into it that it almost felt inauthentic. And it's like, no, I, 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 there's something about this for me personally that's just not connecting. And we see that in a lot of other shows at the moment where it's like, here's our token gay, yeah, here's our token, right. you know, yeah. this, that. And it's like, oh, I don't know. And and sometimes, you know, made a bit cringe where it's like, oh, like, you know, can't walk around being like you know my my superpower activates when i really embrace my bisexuality it's like it's too much (laughs) too much but that might just be me i think there probably are a lot of people out there that quite like it are quite helped by it you know i want to see like a suave you know um bisexual guy that's really confident in himself because i've never really seen on tv as like oh there's a bi guy who's really confident in himself he's suave and he's above all of this bullshit of like people judging james bond uh well yeah but it it needs to be like an out by person who's really blatant at the same time not like a a secret by and then on the history bit i don't know like here's my maybe it's just that i don't care because i think ash we've had this conversation (laughs) before but like digging up dead people and being like this one was probably by it's just not a sport i care for If some people like to do it, fine. And here's the thing, like, I get it. I get it from, like, no, but why should we assume everyone that was, like, born pre, like, 1990s was, like, straight? And, like, that's how history sees them. Like, when there's these evidence, like, I get it. But I'm just not personally interested in the sport. I'd much rather (laughs) be like, people that are alive and, like, modern representations of bisexuality than old ones but what is interesting though is on that sexual thing we should get some uh sexual historians on at some point and it's the same with people being gay as well but there were periods during history of course where people were just themselves and just enjoyed themselves there wasn't there wasn't these boundaries and things i mean the 1920s people think probably think of the 1920s as being quite stuffy and all the rest of it but actually from what i can gather the 1920s is pretty open decade where people everyone sort of enjoyed themselves after the war and nobody gives them monkeys mm. they, what was happening you know and then you go back further into the 1700s and they were all at it everyone was it didn't matter who it was with um it's only in more recent like, times isn't it you know i feel like all the romans were bisexual weren't they like on the pottery they're all having sex with each other and having a lovely time yeah. and um <laughs> and i feel like you know that that was the era bisexuality we just forgot about it but also i think on the doctor who thing 
I think I I love I love Doctor Who, and I did love that episode for the disability representation, particularly um, the new episode. And and obviously, it is written by a queer person, which I think is good. So with the queer storylines, but. I think it's also difficult because we have to remember that we are coming from kind of a privileged place of we get to have these conversations and we get to hang out with other bisexual people and queer people. And so to us, we've kind of maybe heard it all before, but to a primetime BBC One audience who live all over the country and, you know, young people who might never have met another bisexual person or even have heard of it, or, you know, there's obviously not a bisexual storyline in Doctor Who. But but actually, for that audience, I think that Doctor Who episode might have meant an awful lot, whereas to people maybe in the industry, it felt a little bit overplayed. But we are coming from it from a different I mean, place. Russell T. Davis is obviously extremely, extremely talented writer, and he tends to do a lot of the LGBT kind of work these days. He tends to be the person that the go-to person. There's not, I mean, there's Jonathan Harvey and a few others, um, and both of them are, are, are gay. And I think I think Russell's brilliant at what he does. But I've seen a few of his his, his bisexual characters in some of the dramas. I thought to myself that they're not quite rounded enough i do think we need a bisexual writer to actually really create something properly um i don't think we've quite got that yet you know yeah just on rtd and like ash i know it's probably not your forte but you're on a podcast about bisexuals so sci-fi comes up because yeah yeah. every bisexual i meet like the com i really think that as bisexuals we should take over comic con (laughs) Um, like I don't think we should worry about trying to have a a pride like everyone else we should just go and overtake some comic cons and that can be our pride Um, but just quickly on Russell T Davis and that uh, disability representation Sam what did you think of the whole thing of the Davros thing of now they don't want to play Davros as someone disabled in a wheelchair because you don't want to think of like people in a wheelchair as evil so you're going to be like go back in the past where he was standing that was the kind of thing where I was like, come on, I don't think anyone thinks of anyone in a wheelchair as evil because of Davros. I don't know, though. I think there's really, there's real sort of cultural impact characters. And I think when you think of, a, depending on when you were growing up, like I think of X-Men, Professor Xavier in a wheelchair. So I think, oh, really intelligent. <laughs> but also did the wheelchair... You know, in X-Men, it's like, did the wheelchair actually stop him from doing all the action hero stuff? Because he's really intelligent, but he doesn't sort of get much action, does he? Um, so, and and I do think that there's this whole, especially with the kind of physical disability and and also, you know, mental health and this idea that if you have a scar on your face, you must be evil. Or if you have a burn or, you know, um, and I think historically any sort of difference was picked up and given to a villain to mark them out as different. And so I don't think we should necessarily go back and change the history of all the characters there were. But I do think that if you can do something clever with it and sort of change that narrative a little bit, I think that could be quite interesting. Mm. And of course, bisexual, going back to bisexuality, often bisexual characters historically have been 
portrayed as being horrible, evil, nasty criminals, all sorts of horrible things along the way, haven't they? You know, using sex to manipulate the situation. Yeah, absolutely. We're yeah. manipulating everything, aren't we? <laughs> you know what? Though I do think with sci-fi, like it's so weird. I've been watching some of the old Star Trek episodes on Netflix of the Next Generation, and like it. I think that the thing with sci-fi is because a lot of it is set in the future, it's like miles ahead. Like there were gender neutral characters. No one was alarmed at the time. Mm. Like, so, you know, it's really odd to, I think that's why bisexuals love sci-fi so much. It's like, it's maybe one of the places where we, we get away with being ourselves a bit more. Well, we're head of the game, head of the game. You see several, several decades ahead. Um, <laughs> so that's great. Um, we always manage to get in somewhere, something about uh, sci-fi, don't we? Somewhere along the lines. So let's take a bit of a break for now and we'll return in a few moments' time uh, to hear from a US journalist and writer who happened to discover that he was bisexual after attending an orgy with his girlfriend. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. Eurovision. It's an iconic show that's been on our screens for almost 70 years. But it's more than just one night in May. You know, I've always wanted to be called a queen. <laughs> queen Marie. We're James and Rob, and you can join us every week on the Eurotrip podcast as we bring you closer to the world's biggest music competition. And we have plenty of fun along the way. It was my only demand for hosting this festival. I need to dingle from the roof. We both stood outside by the bins slash toilets earlier chatting and both of us were tanning in front of each other's eyes. I'm going for lunch with Louie Walsh tomorrow. (laughs) Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Are you a middle-aged or older bisexual in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s or beyond who has really struggled or is still struggling to come to terms with your sexuality? Has the whole thing created chaos in your life as you navigate a whole new world and have delivered the news to people who thought they knew you? Sexuality is often discussed in the media as a young person's thing, but we know there are loads of older bisexual people out there who need a voice. So wherever you are in the world, drop Bisexual Brunch a note and tell us your stories. Email us now at info at TV. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. So Bisexual Brunch continues. Now we're going to talk to Kyle Kelman, who is a writer and journalist based in New York, um, who found out he was bisexual uh, after basically um, attending an orgy with his girlfriend. Very intriguing. We're going to find out all about it in just a moment. Uh, but thank you, Kyle, for, for joining us. Before we get into the, the detail, as it were, uh, tell us a little bit more about who you are. Yeah, thank you. So I am... Um I'm an American. I'm from the East Coast, which means to us Connecticut, New York. I grew up in New York City, and I now live out here in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm a a writer. I've written for TV. I've written novels. And uh, Bisexual Brunch, I think, found me through my Huffington Post article titled, uh, let's see what they finally titled it. My girlfriend and I went to a sex party in the middle of an orgy. I realized I'm not straight. I thought the original title was uh, a little tighter, which was 
uh, I realized I was bisexual in the middle of an orgy. And yeah, basically I'm just a regular, a regular guy, a regular bloke, maybe as your audience would be familiar with. And, um, I'd always been, um, you know, a little more sensitive than my friends and a little more, um, in tune with women than my friends and didn't always understand things from the perspective of the people around me in the same way that they did. And, um, yeah, basically I grew up in that era where it was, everyone was like, it's okay to be gay. I grew up in a pretty, um, progressive, um, at least not conservative environment. And there was conversations about how difficult it might be to be gay and how that might affect your life. And it was kind of in that era. I was in high school in that era when people were talking about, well, is it okay for gay people to teach children? And we don't want them to be influenced by that. And I, in, as a young person was just focused on girls. I'm sorry. It was focused on girls, which was, um, you know, hard enough of a challenge. And I was scared of having an attraction to boys. So I didn't even, didn't even, uh, think about that at all. Um, and basically it wasn't until I became really comfortable with myself and comfortable with where I was at in my life, um, comfortable where I was in my relationship with a woman that I was able to really be like, Hmm, you know, I've had these feelings for a long time about men and I've always tried to repress them and I've always felt uncomfortable about them. And, uh, at the same time, I now live in West Hollywood, California, which is basically a Mecca of LGBTQ, um, all stripes of, you know, the rainbow are welcome and expressed. And the stigmas just do not exist here. And I've, I've met and worked for, um, I, I've met tons and tons of queer people of every kind and tons of bisexual people of every kind, but especially working for gay and lesbian people in Los Angeles who have been inspirations to me just because of the, uh, people they are just because of how hardworking or dedicated or smart or funny and, realizing that being gay or being bisexual or being any, any type of queer is just so not a big deal. And it's, I'm thankful that in my life and community, it's just so not a big deal. And so kind of brought me to this realization of like, Oh, you know what? I, I really think I am bisexual. And so I uh, have been writing and I've been writing, I've been writing for a while. I've been writing, uh, male and female characters that are queer and, uh, dealing with, uh, their queerness and coming of age style, or it's just another th characteristic about them. And I had the opportunity to write an article for Huffington Post and I took advantage of it as an opportunity to really come out to not just my friends and family, but a broader audience. The story you told in particular was about you and your relationship with your partner and the fact that you went somewhere and went and 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 sort of there's one thing saying you might be bisexual or whatever there's another thing doing it isn't there so tell yes, us a little yes. bit about that and how that came about and just take us through the experience and tell us a bit about your partner if you're able to yeah so i will so my partner ella is actually now my wife we just got married which is 
pretty exciting. Um, and there's kind of a funny element about that where um, there were some family members who were, you know, questioning like, well, what does this mean? You know, what does this all mean now? And we're like, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's, it's none of your business and it's not something we, you know, care about um, in terms of that it affects our lives. So yeah, we, we both went, we, we actually were best friends in university and then went to uh, move to Los Angeles together from Colorado where we had met and gone to school and moving to the big city, Los Angeles, there's all sorts of new people and opportunities and, you know, parties. And we were both in our early twenties and we were in a exploratory, exciting phase of our life. And we'd gone from a pretty conservative town, Colorado Springs to the opposite. Los Angeles has everything you could ask for. And we had this very much like try anything once, you know, we're, we're young, we're in love, like we're very comfortable with each other. And the idea of going to sex parties seemed really fun and interesting. Um, yeah, my wife, Ella, is like really a cool, outgoing person. And she inspires me to do cool and outgoing things all the time. And she'd had very, you know, she'd flirtatiously kissed girls before, which I think is a way more acceptable thing. And it doesn't mean you're suddenly, oh, you're gay because you kissed somebody at a party, which it kind of seems to be for men. And yeah, just basically we being able to do that kind of thing and, and realizing that, um, you know, when you're, when you're in the bedroom with people or somebody, um, it suddenly made me realize that, oh, the gender is less important. And that made me realize, oh, maybe I'm not as. So, I mean, had you ever been to one of these things before? Was this your first time? Yeah. And the article, I kind of condensed it all, but we were doing it. We went a few times to different events and parties. And yeah, basically, in, for the sake of writing the Huffington Post piece, I just kind of condensed a few things into one instance. But uh, yeah, the first time we went, I mean, I'll tell you the first time we went, uh, it, it was back in 2015 or 2016. And for some reason, the word of the year was compersion. And this concept of instead of jealousy, you should feel excitement for the pleasure of someone you love. Like, you know, oh, no, like somebody's, you know, having sex with my partner. It's like, oh, yay, someone's having sex with my partner. Like, I love them. I want them to feel good. And so that was kind of a crazy, um, you know, mental paradigm switch kind of thing uh, for me where, okay, here's this person I love and care about and they're their own person and I want them to feel, you know, the wide range of experience in life. And I don't want to, you know, take them hostage in any way, which I think jealousy is kind of connected with that. And I'll tell you just because why not that the first time we went, I was really nervous about, oh, my God, like my girlfriend sleeping with a guy right in front of me. And this didn't make it into the article, but we go and we're young. We're like early 20, you know, attractive for the scene. And a couple comes up to us who are also relatively fit and um, attractive. 
and she's the the woman is very attractive and you know my girlfriend and this woman are connecting and i'm like this is great and the guy is like waiting his turn to you know make out with my girlfriend and i make out with his partner or whatever and then we go to a different room and it turns out he has a micro penis and i was like huh okay like this is great like i don't have to feel any sort of you know there's no competition here between and you know i didn't i didn't ask any questions and i didn't really care but he you know wasn't able to have penetrative sex with my girlfriend and i was able to have penetrative sex with his girlfriend or whoever and so that first moment kind of was like okay like this is a good equation for me and I can kind of get down with this. And then that good experience, you know, led to us going back to that same club, which was, it's like a totally weird, uh, like gonzo environment where you go down to the seediest area of downtown Los Angeles and it's the middle of the night and you walk in and then suddenly it's this, like you walk through veils and there's all these people in undress and, you know, places where they're all hooking up and, and, you know, so it was exciting and fun. And, and it, for us, it was just a cool adventure that we went on. And, but, you know, the second or third time we went back, we were um, sort of getting the rhythm of it and, you know, becoming more comfortable with um, swapping partners and, uh, and being there together. And, you know, the entire time we've made sure to have very strong communication and, check in with each other and make sure that our comfort levels are, are solid because, you know, the whole time, uh, you know, my wife and I have been doing this stuff. It's like our own connection is the most important. And so anyway, we basically then found, um, like a more, a less institutionalized community of people. Um, a friend invited us to a party and then, we're like, this is way more fun to just go to someone's apartment and, you know, you, you have some drinks and hang out and then maybe it escalates into, um, something more, more sexual. And I was there at the sex club. It was very much like no, you know, no men and women, uh, you know, no men are going to hook up with each other. The women are encouraged to hook up with each other, but men and women are not going to. And then I was with a friend, um, at his house and we were admiring the orgy that he had going in his apartment in his you know uh you know one bedroom flat on the first floor somewhere um and we were both standing naked and i was like kind of like this is so ridiculous that there is like a barrier between me touching you and you touching me versus you know the girls interacting and the girls interacting with the boys and I like looked at his very handsome body and I was like, okay, like, haha, like I'm such a jokester. I'm going to touch your penis right now. And I did that and didn't like immediately die or combust into flames or get zapped down by God or something. And pushing through that barrier as, you know, silly as it was in the moment, I was like, oh my God, like, you know, my grandmother didn't just call me and say that, you know, I'm going to hell or something. She, you know, she has no idea. She doesn't care. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a step-by-step journey to kind of, you know, what I now can say undo a lot of the shame and, 
uh, restriction that I didn't even realize I had. And in all that time, you said earlier on in your life you'd you'd you'd, you'd, you'd thought about the possibility of being attracted yeah. to guys or bisexuality, whatever. But in all that time up to that point, had you never really sort of thought of yourself at all as bisexual? Was this was what I'm trying to say is was that was this experience the turning point? So it was really actually even slower than that. I growing up, um, you know, looking back uh now towards you know high school and uh going to college i would have had so much more sex if i had realized i was bi because you know there were so many opportunities where um you know i was keen on a handsome gentleman and he was probably flirting with me and i didn't even realize it i was just like this guy's so cool um i want to talk to this guy more and you know he's i want to hang out with him and uh, his eyes are so pretty. Like, you know, I didn't, I never really, I was so hyper-focused on just getting, you know, in high school and even earlier, I was like, okay, the, the ticket to having sex is I get a girlfriend, she lets me kiss her, and then, you know, X, Y, Z will, you know, I'll lose my virginity and be happy forever. And it took a long time to get a girlfriend and get a kiss, and I didn't even lose my virginity to a woman until uh i was in you know into university and so i was so hyper focused on just that pathway that i didn't even think about men in that way but growing up watching you know having access to pornography i would watch porn and then i would find myself watching gay porn or transgendered porn and be ashamed about it and make sure that that like I would do this kind of um, mental gymnastics where I was like, as long as I don't finish, you know, or orgasm while watching a video of gay or trans porn, then I'm fine. Like, then I'm not gay. Like, then I'm not, you know, attracted to that stuff or something. It's so, you know, I allowed myself to be exposed to it. Um and I was never, and I'll say also, I was never someone who was like anti anything. Um, I, I didn't, I just didn't, I didn't even think twice about what I would be, um, or how to define myself because I just assumed I was straight. Um, and I didn't know any bisexual people. And, you know, like I'm sure you are, have dug into, there's, there weren't a lot of bisexual representation that was positive or normal, um, you know, in TV and media. And, you know, people who were bisexual were some were, you know, I thought of them actually as probably worldly or knowledgeable about something that I didn't understand and, you know, didn't have the wherewithal to even, you know, pick up. So then I come to Los Angeles and there is an app. It used to be called Thrinder and now it's called Field. I'm sure it's international. Um, it's a great app. And you put down your sexual um, orientation on it as a way of, you know, when you're swiping through and you're connecting with people, you want to, you can go on for those who don't know, I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast knows, but uh, you, you know, I, I was on the app as a couple with my girlfriend and she was bi curious and I was straight when we first downloaded the app. And then I was like, 
hmm, there's an option called heteroflexible. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't mind being around a cock, you know, and I, I don't mind seeing one. And, you know, the idea of being in the same bed as one doesn't put me off. And the idea of, you know, being in a threesome with one doesn't put me off. And so I was like, okay, I'm heteroflexible. Like, that's a new term that I just learned. And another piece of it was that I was living in Los Angeles. I'm trying to make it as a writer. I'm trying to understand, you know, who am who am I? What do I want to say? What's unique about me? And I was I had a really intense writer's block when I first moved to LA because I was around all these really incredible writers and you know people who were selling movies and working on TV shows. And I was so close to the action. I was like, why not me? And I was like, and I saw a therapist at the time who was gay, and he was kind of like, hmm, you know, maybe you're gay. Like maybe that's you know what it is, and you know that's why you have writer's block. Basically, you you, you haven't accepted this thing about yourself, and. And I, um, you know, had this kind of rudimentary idea of like, oh, well, being gay means you like having sex with women more than you like having sex with men. And, you know, or, you know, you're off put by women in some way. And I wasn't. I, I love my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife. So I was really like, you know, pondering that a lot. And, you know, all these things kind of came together where I was on this one app feel, you know, with Thrinder at the time field now. And we were not, not every month, but you know, every so often attending orgies and they were never explicitly bisexual. And I was like, I got to like figure out this. I got to try, you know, I, I was, I was scared and exhilarated about the idea of having sex with a guy. And I was like, if I'm scared of this, like I need to do it because if I don't do it, I'll never know. And also like, I want to be someone who, when I'm scared of something, um, like I can do it. Like I can kind of, you know, overcome that fear and, you know, really along the lines of like, you know, you don't know until you try it and how do you know? And, you know, there's a great joke that, um, I did not write, but homophobia has kept a lot of people from having the best blowjob of their life. And so I downloaded Grinder and I went out, you know, down, I had a few, I had a beer or two and I walked around the block. It was so simple. It, it was so simple to get on Grinder, find someone who wanted to hook up with me that it was like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it. It was like, come on. Like if I like it's, it's, I push a few buttons and someone's like, you know, served up to have sex with me. Oh my God. So I did that. Uh, I went, you know, around the block to this guy's house and, you know, he took me into his car and this is, some of this is in the article I wrote, but, and, you know, he slipped me into him and it was not a romantic experience. It, he did not talk to me at all. It was totally a, you know, cruising anonymous style hookup. And it was fine. It was like totally fine. Like it was not, I did not, um, burst into flames. I did not die. I did not change my life. It was just another experience, um, that taught me a little bit about myself and my body. And there were things I liked about it and there were things I didn't like about it. But, um, 
you know, ultimately it was just like, okay, cool. I tried another thing, like another thing I can cross off the list of experiences in my life. And so I would say that was kind of the overarching course from me being like, oh no, like I'm straight. I look at gay porn sometimes, but I never orgasm to it to like, okay, like I'm finally comfortable with who I am. And, um, you know, in my, I have a strong relationship. I know what I want to do with my life and I have access to these things, whether they're sex parties or bi people or gay people and realizing that, um, this is not something I have to hide or even be afraid of sharing. Um, yeah. So that was kind of, that was kind of the, the turning point. And then I'll just say that, um, you know, I didn't want to come out to anybody. I didn't want to make it a big deal when people, when people in LA, um, especially those who work in creative arts, entertainment would ask or conversation, you know, if I was talking to someone who's gay, I might be like, yeah, I'm, I'm by, by the way, you know, but I never told my parents, I never told my high school friends. Um, and I think of, you know, this, the pressure on gay people to come out. Um, I'm Jewish and I think of it as like this bar mitzvah you have to have for your sexuality where you have to like come out to everybody. And like the pressure of that was so, seems so stupid to me. Um, but you know, I now understand that coming out is kind of like the first step of pride that a person can do. So your relationship with your girlfriend, now your wife. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've gone through a journey together on this in a way, yes. right? Which is great. Yeah. Has it? Has any of the your revelations about actually finally realizing you're bisexual? Has it? Has that caused any issues in your relationship? You know, I'm really, really thankful that it has not. I am. I feel really like blessed about that. My partner and I um, have been on the same page this entire time. We we come from similar backgrounds of you know, acceptance, but not encouragement per se. Um, and, um, you know, we really, we read all of the books that were like, you know, here are the ground rules you need to have, you know, the ethical slut kind of stuff. Um, and we've come up with a system where uh, we have like an open relationship for same sex um, hookups. So she can go and have, um, a date with a girl and I can go and have a date with a guy. And if we're going to have, um, you know, group situation, we'd prefer to do it together because we like having fun together. And, um, you know, the, the, we like having fun together. We love e our relationship. We trust each other. And, you know, but at the same time, we want to be able to go and explore and do things. Um, but actually, the other important thing I'd say is that, um, you know, since we just got married, we've kind of put the open relationship stuff on hold to really focus on just being with each other and being together. Um, and I think that's a really, really important thing, you know, that everyone should be aware of is that um, anytime you hear about an open relationship, um, you know, people who are not in the lifestyle and, and live more conservatively they hear open relationships. They're like, Oh my God, like that's, that's terrifying. Um, or, you know, that's some, a friend of mine told me like, that's like throwing a stick of dynamite at your relationship. And I was like, okay. And 
the times where I've heard that it is bad and goes really horribly is um, when one of the people in the relationship says, hey, can we take a break from this? Hey, can we stop this for a bit? And the other person says, no, uh, that's when you know things are really going to be nasty because, you know, that's just not good. So we both agreed like, hey, like we just got married. Like, let's just, you know, keep it between the two of us for a while because that's what we wanted to do. Sounds fantastic. Sounds like you've got a really good, really good relationship there. I'm in a similar situation in a way, actually. Not, yeah. We're not quite as liberal. Yeah, tell me about, tell me about you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just in a relationship with an, uh, another guy and yeah. but we've always had a fairly sort of, you know, open relationship in the sense that, you know, we're both, we both talk, you know, he's, he's gay, I'm, I'm, I'm bi, and there's never been any issues or anything like that, which is fantastic. But a lot, but we're, you and I and Lewis and Nikki, who also present some bisexual brunch, we're the lucky ones mm-hmm. in a way, aren't we? In a way, yes. because there are a lot of people out there who really struggle to be accepted by their partners and all the rest of it. Just thinking back to those particular, um, those, those, you know, um, those orgies you went to and things like that. Um, did you get the impression there was probably quite a lot of men there who were maybe contemplating or could have possibly, you know, crossed the line as it were? I, I would say yes, but I actually thought that the orgy scene that I, that we started with, which is this very like swinger style, key party style, um, experience, I, I felt more like it was an opportunity for men to have sex with other people rather than explore their own sexuality and for women to have sex with other people. But, um, you know, there's the cliche of, you know, the, the older couple who's not so satisfied with their relationship and they get into swinging versus an exploration of themselves. Yeah. But, but to your point about, um, you know, being lucky and, and having a partner, uh, that, you know, is, is accepting and, and allowing of this kind of stuff, uh, this kind of exploration and learning to me, like I'm someone who lives, you know, in a very queer friendly place. My parents, you know, when I, when I, when this article was coming out, I sent it to them and, you know, my mom was basically like, cool, like good for you, like whatever. Uh, which was really nice. And I emailed my dad this article and he was, his only comment was like, you know, his only negative comment was like, I wish we'd had this conversation in person. And I was like, well, I didn't want to. So, um, but the point is that, you know, I felt like I was in a place in my life where if I didn't feel proud and feel pride for coming out, um, you know, to let people know that even though I'm in a heteronormative relationship, even though I was soon to be married, um, to a woman that, you know, I am by and that that's okay. And something I'm proud of, because if I can't, you know, I'm a totally privileged, normal guy. Um, and it's like, if I can't be confident about coming out, uh, you know, how can other people be? And so I really wanted to be, uh, you know, a f- proud flag waving bisexual to, you know, at least let other people to normalize it for other people. And, you know, give space for others who might, you know, want to do that too. We heard there from Kyle about his experience of um, uh, going to various uh, sex parties and orgies in America with his girlfriend and who's now to uh, be be his wife. And we talked a bit about, you know, the experience, what he went through, whether that had any uh, impact on his uh, relationship. But I thought it was quite interesting about how 
he said they were dealing with it because he said they're about to get married and they've sort of stopped having lots of extra um, things with um, you know other people of the same sex. But actually, on a general basis, they've decided to have an open relationship whereby um, the open side of it is that they could both go off and have um, uh, sexual encounters, I suppose, with uh, people of the same sex. And my question to you two... Uh, because you're in that sort of facing relationship scenario and I'm in a slightly different one, is um, would it work for you, Sam? I think in my relationship now, it's not something that I've considered. I think when I was getting divorced, well, before I got divorced from my then male partner, it was something that I considered and we had a conversation about it. But I'm not sure that that was coming from a healthy place. Um, and it was coming from a let's try and save our marriage and also maybe we don't love each other anymore so we should have sex with other people. Yeah, so the conversation that I, I had with my ex, he was straight, so he'd have relationships with women, but then I'd also have relationships with women. So he said he said he'd feel comfortable me having relationships with women, but not other men. I mean, it, it never came to anything. It was a conversation that we had. I think if I was with a bisexual partner and we'd been together for a long time and, you know, we properly read up on it and put clear boundaries in place then that might be a nice way to still acknowledge our bisexuality. Um, I think for me it would have to be like sexual encounters only, no like dates or falling in love territory because that would be the relationship. And I think, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people that have made that work for them and their relationships and, and also straight people who've had an open relationship and, and made like in the middle of a really long marriage and made that work and then stopped doing it and, you know, went back to just how they were before. I think, you know, if you're both on the same page, which I think is the hardest bit, um, if you're both on the same page and you have clear boundaries and it works for you, then it sounds like it could be amazing. But I think it really depends on you as a person and also your relationship. I think it can work for one person in one relationship and then not in the next one. So yeah, absolutely. What about you, Lewis? I mean, obviously you're in a very monogamous situation at the moment. Have you have you, you two ever talked about this kind of thing? No, I um so I was open in a previous relationship. Um and I think that what with, that, with another man, wasn't it? When you were another guy. Bloke, yeah. And I think that what that taught me is that that I think there's really only select few, very small minority of people that can make it work. And I think some people talk a big game about, yeah, I can do it. And then when it comes to it and you're six months in, the jealousy creeps in. I also would go as far as to say I think it's easier to have an open relationship if the genders in the relationship are the same. I think that when it's a mixed gender, I think some of those gender roles can creep in a little bit more. It, I don't know why, but it's just maybe historically, it's like if there's two men, the fact that your other half who's a male is going off and having sex with people is fine. But, you know, as a male and then your other half who's a woman is going off like that is, is like different and taboo and those gender roles creep in a little bit. Obviously, you know, a bit of a weird one, but I guess 
when you're in an opposite sex relationship, there is that pregnancy risk, which maybe plays a bit more that you don't have if it's two women who are tr- who are going to go off and have sex with other women and two men who are going to go off and have sex with other men. It's even though there's obviously SCIs and stuff, the idea that you could accidentally end up bringing a life in and how much of that would impact your relationship, I guess, is is quite a big um, factor in there of, of why people wouldn't do it. Um, but what I will probably say, and I'm taking a, a guessy because I don't know, the, this one thing I do have statistics on, but I would say probably um, on my point about there's probably few statistically people that could do it and make it work. I think probably bisexual people, if you polled it, it would be higher the number of bisexuals that could make it work than straight or gay people. Um, so maybe when you have got two bisexuals in a relationship together, it is more possible to say, look, we can still be in love and have a bit of sex outside of this and it be okay. And statistically that will work out more times than a gay or a straight person trying to make that work. Yeah, and I think you're probably right there, actually. And of course, none of us are in that situation. Are we? We're all in relationships with um, with either uh, gay people or, or, or straight people. And it would be interesting, and we've discussed this before, haven't we? Where, you know, if the world was different, everyone could just be themselves. And we all knew who was bisexual, because that's the other thing. We don't a lot of the time. We have no idea who else is bisexual out there. It'd be interesting to see how, how things played out. I mean, for me personally, um, going out with a, a gay man, we often talk about my partner and I talk about having an open relationship and that we wouldn't really be bothered about, you know, something happened and there have been the odd little crushes and things that happened on both sides and we've stayed together and there's no big, no big issue. We've talked about it. Uh, they've not gone particularly far or anything like that, but I think the danger is always, isn't it? That for me, it's not the sex. It's the, it's just the, the worry that that person is going to become attached to someone else. Isn't it really? That's the, that's the problem. Because you think, oh, God, oh. you know what? what I, I, you don't feel, you know. But, but then that's also about feeling comfortable with that person, isn't it? And, and knowing and trusting them. And I suppose as time goes on, um, maybe you trust them more. But then, of course, as time goes on, you're getting older and older and older and less opportunities. <laughs> so, what do you guys think of this? I was listening to another podcast, Perish the Thought of Listening to Anything Other Than Bisexual Brunch. Um, I was was listening to another podcast recently and one of them was basically saying, um, because obviously there's this whole thing now, but oh, should we all be open and just all having open relationships and sex with everyone and, you know, and monogamy was forced on us and blah, blah. And what they were saying is that human beings might be designed more for, I can't remember how they put it, but basically um, condensed monogamy. So as in like sort of, we are animals that are, um, you know, conditioned for bonding, but for shorter periods of time than we do. So, sort of, you should bond with someone for sort of seven years, enough to you know bring a child into the world biologically, and then move on. And it, you know that that maybe that is more of the natural rhythm of humans. And I haven't really thought more about what I think of that, but I just thought it was an interesting concept I hadn't heard before. That actually maybe we're not meant to be monogamous our whole lives, but we're also not meant to be having sex with everyone. It's more you know, just just romances that take a, like you know, well, I, just under a decade, and then we move on to the next one. Well, I certainly think I certainly think the whole thing of you know, there's a fallacy, isn't there, that sex lasts forever and eternity. Everyone's having sex all the time. So, you know, most people in relationships, 
the sex dwindles after a while, doesn't it? Let's face it. It's not, it doesn't happen as often as it what it did do. And it, it does turn into a companionship and friendship, but also love and affection and all the rest of it. But you don't necessarily need it. You know, because sex is about, you know, it's about, it's like, it's like on both sides, both men and women and men and men, women and women. It's a conquering thing in a way, isn't it? You've achieved something. You don't necessarily constantly have to be doing things with each other in a sexual way, do you? Oh, I really feel that pressure though. You know who ruined me? Samantha (laughs) Jones in the Sex and the City film where she's like, the next thing you know, we'll only be having sex two or three times a week. And in my head, I always thought, oh my God, I don't want to ever be that pathetic. (laughs) Um. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who ruined it for me? This is so. This is the opposite of Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. I think it was Linda Bellingham on Loose Women, who said that, like back in the day, who said that, yeah, who said that she. I think she was on like her second or third husband, and she said they religiously have sex once a week. Because that's the answer to a good relationship. And I was like, oh, my, every week. And actually, I think the older I've, the younger I was, I didn't think sex is important. And then the older I've got, I think the more I think sex is important. And so, and, and also I, you know, been married and divorced and have a podcast about divorce and speak to a lot of divorced people. And I do think that, you know, despite long-term relationships, becoming that companionship and you doing it less i think actually making an effort to have sex more or have you know some sort of sexual encounter more really does seem to impact re- the relationship in a positive way but i don't think i think i think you're right i think but i also i do think though that um i don't think you, i think as you get older your interest in sex doesn't you know it doesn't abate i think you still you still you still got that interest but whether that interest is necessarily with the person you've necessarily always settled with, and you know what I mean, it's sort of it's not necessarily a necessarily. Always, I think you know. you're both right. I think that yeah, I think that human beings probably are programmed through, and um, maybe men a bit more anyway, like programmed to seek out new people to have sex with to spread their genes. So there's probably that element. But I actually absolutely think you're right, Sam. Is like when you're in a relationship, you have to work on. No, we are going to have sex. It is easy to just sit and watch Netflix. Like, but actually, you have to make that effort because that it's a bonding ceremony. And if the the more you do it, the stronger your relationship is going to be. It releases those pheromones together. It you know you have to because if you don't, it 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 just it will. That's where I think problems can creep in. It's weird, but it's like you have to work at having sex. And let, let's fly a flag here because we both we mentioned a little bit about age and stuff, but. Let's fly a flag and say that, you know, whatever age you are, it is okay to be having sex at whatever age it is. And there's a program on at the moment on, I think it was on Talking Pictures, where they've just done a, I think, so I think it's a French uh, TV film or whatever, where the the focus is, I think it's called, it's it's like sex education, but it's got a, well, another word in the middle. I can't remember exactly what it is now, but it's focusing on people in, people who are pensioners having, still having sex, still enjoying themselves. And yeah, I think, my... I think that's brilliant that people. I don't have... think people have as much of a problem with that as people think. No. I think the problem is that whenever people talk as like old people having sex, it's like people like people like people finding out about their parents having sex or their grandparents. Like, oh, yeah. and that's where the awkwardness comes from. But then if like those parents know about their kids having sex, they're equal. Like, oh, or mad about it. I, but I think the concept of like eighty-year-olds having sex, like people are like, oh, wish I'm still doing that at that age. 
Unless they're having kids at 80, and then I think people are a bit like... I think think that whole thing of seeing sex as something dirty, whatever it is, is probably an Anglo-Saxon and American thing, really. The French don't give them monkeys, do they? Let's face it. Let's get on with it. You know what I mean? We we, we still have hang-ups, don't we, Sam, in a way, in Britain and America, about sex, generally. I don't know. I think I think we're getting better. I think we're getting better. We're not quite. I think actually the older generation are quite raunchy. I remember my grandma, my dad's mum. This is not my mum's mum because anyone who knew her would be absolutely horrified if I was going to say this about her. But my dad's mum, her husband died, and then she started having a new relationship. I think she was in like a thruple with a married I'm not really entirely sure what happened anyway she started having sex again and it was like a new lease of life like she wanted to talk about it all the time my dad used to be like stop but I was just like that's incredible like I love that for her she was my grandma and I was like go for it and then and then yeah the idea that you know I would I want to be doing that when I'm 80 and you think think sometimes younger people maybe a little bit more moralistic these days yeah, and actually my my gran used to say to me, like, you know, when I was nervous for her to hear what I'd got up to or when I was doing stand-up comedy and I was talking about a lot of stuff on stage and I was like, oh, my God, my gran can't come and hear what this is all about. She used to say to me, like, I've lived a long time. I've seen a lot of things, like, more than you expect. And and actually, I think we forget that, you know, our grandparents lived through that. My grandparents aren't around anymore. But they lived through, you know, very difficult times. Like, some of them lived through the war and, you know, the this, this exciting 60s and the pill was introduced and, like, you know, there were loads of sexual revolutions happening throughout their lives as well as ours. And so I think, you know, maybe we don't talk about it over tea, but it's definitely happening. And I think we're um, I think we're just as sexually excitable as the French. I think, you know what, I think you're right. I think maybe, I mean, not that my grandparents ever talked to me about sex, but I think something happened with parents' generation. Like, with, I, I think something happened where it's sort of like, I feel like I have more in common with my grandparents than I do with my parents in a weird way. And I don't know, because I will say this, like, I definitely grew up thinking like sex was something that was maybe not wrong, but it was like, oh, it was embarrassing. You didn't talk about it or, or it was, and it's like, well, where did that come from? That's weird. And then I'm like, well, is it my parents' fault? Because I actually do remember being, and I know I was definitely younger than eight because I know like we moved when I was eight and I can remember having this book in in the first house it must have been before i was eight and it was a book about how babies are born it like literally had a naked woman in it and a naked man and it was like this is the penis this is a vagina and then this is what they do and like you know and then this is the sperm and so it's like so they had that book around so i could know about it so it's not like they were i don't know actively but i do remember this i'm sure my mom won't mind me saying this but like I remember on whenever we were watching a film and like people started like romantically kissing, she'd be like, oh, kissing and like cover my face with a pillow. <laughs> I'm like, that's giving me a concept that that's wrong. Mother, come on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because I think um, I do actually think the younger generations are more. And I'm 51 now. Uh, I think younger generations are a little bit more conservative about sex than 
the middle-aged and older generations in a way. We, 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 there's a lot more openness in terms of you know, identity being, you know, being, say you're you know, gay or bi or whatever, and all these different things. But I don't think there's an understanding sometimes of the, the history and where everything's come from. Do you know what I mean? I, th- I don't think they're taught enough about what has been, what has happened. And I think there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of scare stories about sex and, and whatever. And I do worry sometimes that we're, we, we've not created a society that really wants to enjoy sex as a natural thing. We've created a society that sees it as something that is still a little bit dirty. In a way, you're talking about Gen Z here, like the young. Talking about the younger, younger, the youngest generation in a way, because I think they, I think they struggle with the whole thing around sex and feelings, and you know, I I don't think we, I don't think my generation have been very good at teaching young people about these kind of things. Is what I'm trying to say. I suppose I can't call Gen Z at all. Um, Sam, is your kid going to be Gen Z or Gen something else? Don't know. Will we go back to A again? (laughs) But um, Gen Z, I will say this. I cannot figure them out. You know, I've got a 14-year-old. So I I feel like I'm a bit more connected to it than... than, But literally, like, from a political standpoint, because I think everyone's like, oh, the young generation, all they're so woke and stuff. I'm like, woke? They made Andrew Tate famous. Like, they're not woke. Um, And then you read these reports around, um, you know... Oh, these the young ones—they don't have sex. That you know, the 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 age of virginity is rising and stuff like that. But then there's all this internet porn filling their heads with stuff, and you, then you read reports of like, oh yeah, like fourteen-year-old girls are like expected to like be into fisting and like being choked, and it's like, oh my god. Um, so it's just such like an odd picture where it seems to be like two extremes. But I guess maybe that's the media and how they report it. It's like my experience, my experience these virgins or they 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 want fisting. It's like my my experience of it is that because I've got brothers, um uh, half brothers and I've got stepbrothers who are younger than me and also uh my age and older than me. My 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 feeling is and I've told them this is that <laughs> the younger ones are quite boring. They're very compliant. They don't get pissed. <laughs> they, don't, they don't do anything. They never took. I'm mean, not saying I've never took drugs, to be honest. But do you know what I mean? There's no, there's no risk taking. It's a very dull kind of existence in a way. I'm not, you know, all of them, but I do feel there's a difference. You know, if you've got a late night train between uh, Leeds and Manchester here in the north, um, it's always the the fifty year olds and for, for, late forty six year olds getting pissed and enjoying themselves. The other lot. Are, because Quite there are 14 boring. year olds that look at that behavior and have said to me, <laughs> Maybe they do. Maybe they do. That's like, what I've been called a degenerate of like, oh, drinking and like the odd cigarette and blah, blah. That's degenerate behavior. And it's like, oh my God, is that what you people think? It's like, why would you put stuff into your body that's unhealthy for you? Why would you do that? It's like, oh, so actually, I don't know. They might just look at us as like, why are you wasting your life? Like we want to be healthy. But I we think, to... but I think that'll go full circle. Like, can't that, that can't that carry on forever? They're, they're never going to be able to buy. They can't carry on being boring, can they, Sam? <laughs> no, I, I see it as completely opposite from you guys. I don't think they're boring at all. I think they don't see taking drugs as fun, so they have their own fun. And I think they're much more, 
you know, they they are called woke a lot, and obviously some of them really aren't and get swayed by pe- terrible people like Andrew Tate. Um, but I think they're much more politically aware, much more aware of their bodies and what they put into it, much more climate aware, and they care about stuff and they're passionate about stuff and they're sort of finding their own fun. I think, you know, we were brought up to, to think going out and getting really drunk on a Friday night is fun. And actually, if you look at it objectively, like, what are we doing? I think young people are actually really exciting because well, they're creating well, this speaking new Speaking who's, who's a comedian, Sam, and I, I, I think you're generally funny anyway, even, even when you're not trying to crack a joke, I think you're funny. <laughs> I've met quite a lot because uh, I make comedy and, and programs for radio. I've quite, met quite a lot of you know, basically, you know, young comedians in recent times who, who they just don't make me laugh. It's so everything, everything's about an agenda. Everything's about, do you know what I mean? But maybe you're not their audience. But I'm bored. It bores me. I want to be, I want to be, I want fun. I don't want to be lectured at. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think what's really interesting about, especially about comedy and Jen. Z and like younger generations is because of things like social media and TikTok is it's much more kind of taste based. So, you know, me as a comedian, I started gigging and you, you gig to audiences, you know, in the mainstream clubs, you gig to audiences of a whole range of different people in the room. And, and obviously, you know, I never wanted to do the Live at the Apollo thing, but, you know, on Live at the Apollo, you are gigging to an audience of a, like such a range of different people. So you have to write comedy that appeals to a wide range of people. Whereas the brilliant thing about social media is you can just write the exact comedy you want and find your exact audience you want. And you don't have to please everyone. And I think that's really exciting um, about the younger generation. And also on the sex sex thing, I think when you're 14, sex is scary, no matter what generation you live in. And then they also have to contend with, you know, like porn and all sorts. So that's going to make it even scarier. So I'm not surprised that they're not having sex with everyone and also there probably still are some people who are having sex with everyone because there always is you know even in the victorian times when you weren't meant to show anyone your ankles there were people having sex with everyone so and and also i have to say you know being the only woman in this discussion we're told not to have sex because you can get pregnant and you're drill it's drilled into you do not get pregnant from you know the age that you start wearing fake bras and i say fake bras in that you know they don't have underwiring or anything and you don't really have anything to hold the bra up yet but you're like i still want to be a grown up and wear a bra you know um the moment you hit puberty everyone's telling you do not get pregnant it'll ruin your life if you get pregnant age 14 so then sex becomes also a different thing when you're a woman or when you have reproductive organs and that's something that you need to like a womb reproductive organs for holding a baby bring things back to being bisexuality and comedy and we're actually going to have a bi comedian on in, in, in future editions of Bisexual Brunch. So it'll be interesting to hear his take on things. But there is quite a lot to laugh at about being bisexual, I think. And I don't, you know, and people might, people might take this too seriously and say, oh, well, you'll come out with these things and it'll be, you know, living up to the stereotypes and whatever. But actually, 
I think it's time we took on some of those stereotypes in the comedy. You know what I mean? Do you do that, Sam? Do you ever have you ever done that in terms of the the buy side of things? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't gig and do live comedy anymore because I do things like write books and stuff, and um, I don't like travelling when it rains. Um, but you know, there's actually loads of brilliant bi comedians. That Catherine Bohart talks quite a lot about being bisexual and has some great material on it. Now, I used to actually do a, a, a joke about um, liking wanking videos, but I only like wanking videos from men. Because, you know, you just see the penis and it wanks. Whereas a wanking video from a woman is like a French language film. Like it needs to be in black and white. It goes on for four hours and you need subtitles. Like that was the bit. And and I think, you know, yeah, there is a lot of fun to be had in the kind of bisexual life. And and also I think all aspects of life, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm deaf and I identify as disabled and I wear a hearing aid and... You know, I used to do comedy about being deaf and getting a hearing aid and all the weird things people say to me and the weird reactions and, you know, getting into the bedroom and be like, you take off your socks, I'll take off my hearing aid and off we go. And and I think what is really nice about comedy is that people are able to explore more of those parts of themselves that before we just had to be like, oh, I married my wife and everything's terrible. And then we had some kids and the kids do some funny things sometimes. And I go to the gym and a man blow dries his pubes in there. And it's, oh, isn't it funny? You know, like everyone was doing the same thing, whereas now people can actually talk about their nuanced experience and other people can enjoy it and learn something maybe. Yeah, we've got a bike comedian coming on um, in a future show. Um from Wales, so we'll uh, hear more about the comedy at that point. But um, we've got to move on. Um, we need to have our Buy Icons series episode about Siegfried Sassoon, and we've also got another Buy Journey story. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Now we continue our Bi Icon series, remembering the British war poets. Once again, we hear from Adrian Caesar, who wrote the book Taking It Like a Man, Suffering Sexuality and the War Poets. This time, Siegfried Sassoon. about Siegfried Sassoon then who has been the subject recently of a film called Benediction yes. which yes. I went to see and I enjoyed it actually I thought it was a nice film I was disappointed I have to say in the sense of the the promotion of it trying to give the uh, impression that it was a gay story rather as opposed to a bisexual story I'm not saying they had to labor either and it's up to the, the viewer to take it on board and make the decision themselves. But I felt as though that was an omission in it. I felt I felt that was a weakness of it. And there was other things, I don't know if you watched it, but there was other things in it which I found were a bit odd in terms of chronology. 
things sort of seemed to be out of sync a little bit. There was his, there was his friendship with Ivan Novello, which seemed to sort of suddenly happen and then disappear. And I don't know, it was all a bit, all a bit odd, some of it. But I mean, it's a nice film. But of course, there's all, with any film, there's always a creative license, isn't there, with these things in terms of, yes. you know. And I, I agree with you entirely about the Ivan Novello part of it. I felt that the filmmaker had latched onto that because people would kind of recognize who Ivan Novello was. But in fact, Early after the war, Sassoon had several uh, encounters with Novello that were quite aggressive, and the affair happened later on and was very brief, as far as one can see, and less important, I think, than than it was shown in 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 the movie. The relationship, well, well, the Ivan Novello relationship, I suppose, and the Ivan Novello's character. And and his presence, I suppose, gave gave the option, didn't it, for that sort of clash between somebody who was a little bit more with small C conservative like Siegfried, and somebody who was very blatant like either, and that clash that you would have, yeah, best yeah. that exists today between, yeah, you will get you will get Gale by men who are quite sort of conservative with a small C who who are horrified by the whole thing of going out and prancing around in outfits and drag queens and all this kind of, they don't get it. They don't understand it. You know, it doesn't, you know, so, yeah. it clash there. so I think that was part of the, it, it was a conceit, wasn't it? To sort of get us through the film, really. That was the issue. But I, I noticed yeah. it. I noticed the, I noticed the, the weaknesses in the argument. It, it felt, felt as though they were laboring that too much for me. Well, yeah. And particularly, I think it, the, the point you make is a very interesting one because Sassoon's relationship with Stephen Tennant, which was very important to him, but Stephen Tennant was right out there, gay in in his in his dress, in the way he was flamboyant. Uh, there's an extraordinary photograph of them together in Max Egremont's biography of Sassoon, and it's quite astonishing because. Sassoon himself is looking his usual conservative self, sitting by this young boy who's draped in flowing gowns and and is is clearly quite camp. Um, and and if they'd used the Novello thing as a kind of stage on the way to the tenant relationship, I think that would have been really interesting. Because I, I mean, I still find the relationship between Sassoon and Stephen Tennant get kind of difficult to understand. It, and it, Tennant gave him a very difficult time. I mean, he was a difficult person, um, volatile, neurotic, temperamental. Um, but and yet Sassoon, of all the lovers, seemed to be more obsessed by Tennant than than the others. Maybe I mean, yeah. maybe it's opposites attract. It's something that yes. maybe in Sassoon that he'd like to have yes. himself and wasn't, you know. So let's obviously we we've put that in the frame of benediction, which uh, anybody who's listening, if you get a chance to watch it, it is worth watching. It's a nice it's a nice yes. film. Uh, but, yes. but, you, but but you need to be you need to have a skeptical eye when you're watching it. That's all. Yes, I think so. <laughs> so let's talk about Siegfried Sassoon. Then tell us what you know or what what we should say about Siegfried Sassoon. Great name, by the way. I think it's one of the best names of history. It's great. Siegfried Sassoon, fantastic name. How many people <laughs> yeah. Siegfried? Not many. <laughs> so yeah. tell, tell yeah. us about Siegfried Sassoon. Then. Well, Sassoon, um, the surname is, is, uh, his father was Jewish, um, but mother wasn't. Um, his parents 
um, split up when Sassoon was quite young and his mother um, brought him up in the Church of England, encouraged his um, poetry, had a close relationship with his mother. He he went to prep school and public school. Um, he, uh, from early on, uh, there's this um he he saw in himself uh, two sides to himself. On the one hand, the sportsman. He was a great. He 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 got into horse riding and hunting, um, fox hunting, riding to hounds. On the one hand, and on the other, there's the sensitive, the poet, the poet of nature, the poet of the ethereal, the poet who loves the the late romantic poems of Swinburne, and tries to emulate them. Before the war um, breaks out, he try he goes to Cambridge, but he doesn't graduate. He doesn't like academia. He has a private income. He says he's so rich, so he doesn't actually need to do anything. And so before the war broke out, he was dividing his time between fox hunting in the country and being in London around that circle of Robert Ross and Eddie Marsh trying to write poems. But he he, he was kind of self-conscious about knowing that he didn't have anything to write about um, with any force. And that he, he was living this kind of rather aimless kind of a life, um, which I think uh, partly explains why he rushed to join up as soon as the war broke out. And, of course, the war provided him with an arena where he could marry the two bits of himself together in a sense, in that the manliness of being a soldier, but the nurturing and the caring that he could give to the lads that he was leading. And out of that came his poetry as well. And so, like rather like Owen, although he comes to protest about the war, there is also in the work a finding of value in those uh masculine relationships yes um and Sassoon is uh, invalided out then he's wounded out he comes back to england um and in 1917 uh, encouraged by some pacifists particularly uh butter and russell and lady Ottoline morell he decided to make a protest, a public protest. Uh, he was protesting on behalf of the troops that he was going to uh, not go back, not subject himself to military discipline. And he had a, a arranged to have this statement read out in the House of Commons. His friends were alarmed, astonished, uh, uh, Graves made representations, Eddie Marsh made representations to make sure that Sassoon was not court-martialed, but was found to be neurasthenic and not in his right mind and sent to Craiglecart Hospital. And he was treated at Craiglecart Hospital by a guy called W.H.R. Rivers, who persuaded him uh, that the best thing to do was to go back to the war, which he did in 1918 and back in france he went to palestine then to france and was wounded again and that was the end of the war for him throughout that period 
from sort of 15 to 19, he wrote a number of uh, deeply uh, bitter satirical war poems as well as dramatic poems and poems celebrating um, the, the, the bonds between troops, men, yes. We'll hear a bit about his poetry, to hear some of his poetry in a moment if we can. We're talking about his sexuality. He is often seen, isn't he, as somebody who had some very notable gay affairs with particular notable people from in history. Um, yeah. And I think he's often defined, therefore, uh, as being gay. But actually, he did have some long-lasting relationships and had children as well, if I remember rightly. He had a child, yes, George. Yeah, I mean, the, the the only relationship I know of with a woman was was with a, a woman called Hester Gatti. And that happened at the moment when his relationship with Stephen Tennant was falling apart. And he met Hester and they liked each other a great deal. And they eventually got married. And so soon... Definitely, you know, they, they their marriage was consummated and they had a son, George, who Sassoon absolutely adored, perhaps more than anybody else in his whole life. And the relationship with Hester seems to have been relatively happy for about seven years. The biographer, uh, Max uh, Eglantine, suggests that Sassoon found Hester's ongoing wish for marital relations. He found that oppressive. But what the evidence for that is, I really don't know. It is quite clear that Sassoon's relationship with her broke down to a certain extent, and yet they stayed in touch. And it seems from some of the correspondence that Hester would have liked the relationship to have survived, but they ended up living apart and indeed dying apart. But what also is interesting to me is that I'm not sure they had any further sexual relationships with anybody following the the collapse of the relationship with Hester. And he took instruction and was converted to the Catholic Church in 1957, um, which seems to have given him comfort of a kind. The the film Benediction, going back to that again for a second, yeah. uh, has a little thing at the end, doesn't it, where isn't it um, uh, one of his, um, was it Stephen comes back to speak, to meet him? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether that's imagined or what, but... Uh, that sort of that I think I think they did meet later on. I think they did, but but there was a big gap in the relationship. Whereas Stephen, he seems to have had some kind of nervous affliction, and they thought he had TB. And there was a period where Sassoon, uh, whereas Tennant refused to see Sassoon. Sassoon was trying to go and see him and offer him comfort. And Stephen Tennant said he didn't want to see him. And I think there may have been a meeting really late on, possibly while Sassoon was dying. I can't remember. But I don't think the relationship was ever, as it were, reignited. I mean, I think I, I don't think um, that happened. 
Um, and of course, they both again lived quite, you know, till they're quite old, really. Um, Stephen Stone soon died in '67, I think, and I think that's right. um, Stephen died in the '80s, late '80s. Yeah, that's right. A long, yeah. long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's hear a bit of a bit of um, Siegfried's uh, poetry, shall we? Okay. I'll read you the poet as hero. You've heard me scornful, harsh and discontented, mocking mocking and loathing war. You've asked me why, of my old silly sweetness, I've repented. My ecstasies changed to an ugly cry. You are aware that once I sought the grail, riding in armour bright, serene and strong, and it was told that through my infant wail there rose immortal semblances of song. But now I've said goodbye to Galahad, and am no more the knight of dreams and show, for lust and senseless hatred make me glad, and my killed friends are with me where I go. Wound for red wound I burn to smite their wrongs, and there is absolution in my songs. Great. Fantastic. So, Siegfried soon then. What do you think, gay or bi? Well, clearly, bi. My sense of it is that the relationship with Hester Gatti was not entirely happy. And yet, for seven years, there they were together. Yes, bi. It must be. (laughs) Yes. actor was Tom Ward Thomas and the music was by Rebecca Applin and Chris Warner and our Buy Icons series next time remembers another British war poet Robert Graves now still to come with this episode's Ask a Bisexual feature but first another Bi Journey story this time from Jeremy in the west of England I'm down in the Mendips actually so I'm about 30 minutes south of Bristol I could tell from the accent. How <laughs> oh, can you? Oh no, the giveaway, shocking. <laughs> you're obviously you're obviously you're obviously born and grew up in that area. Yeah. I'm not I'm not actually. I've got I've oh, been okay. here there here there and everywhere. So I um my parents were actually living abroad in Papua New Guinea and and Australia when when my mum was pregnant. So I came back to the UK to be born and then went back out to Papua New Guinea for sort of six a couple of years and then Australia for six months. Actually came back to the UK at three and then I think from that point, sort of settled in the West Country, <laughs> which has obviously been a giveaway from the accent. But since then, I've been 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 around a bit. So I went to university in York, and I think probably since about two thousand and five, I've been settled down in Bristol or, or thereabouts. Okay, you definitely got a Western, well, I say Western rather than West Country accent, I suppose. Okay, okay, <laughs> I can live with that. I can live with that. It's good. It's nice. It's really nice. Nice to hear it. You don't actually often hear it, really, in a way. Um, so. Okay, so how old are you now then, Jeremy? Uh, 41. You're 41, okay. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to bisexuality then, yeah, has this been a long 
journey or is it something that's hit you very most recently or you know uh, do you think you knew about things way way back tell us tell us a bit about i think um i'm definitely in the late bloomer camp that's for sure um which seems to be a bit of a, a common theme across some of the people you've spoken to previously so i've always been in heterosexual you know heteronormative relationships um fairly long term actually so I, from from uni up until 29 I was with someone and then a couple of couple of years gaps and then I've been with my current partner Claire for about 12 13 years but I guess and at school to be honest it, it just really wasn't on my my radar um I mean I was quite a shy lad anyway to be fair so I wasn't you know front of the queue in terms of snogging anyone <laughs> really but I definitely didn't have it on my radar then um obviously very aware of it I went to an all-lads school so I was acutely aware there were plenty of people who were openly um, curious or exploratory or bi or gay so uh, you know I was aware of it but I never really felt a connection to it at that point I think at university I was in a really happy amazing long-term relationship with a girl but I think that was the first time I sort of got when I felt I felt that maybe I wasn't entirely straight, but it, but inevitably, as people tend to do, and, and quite unhealthy, really, I sort of pushed that aside because I was confused by the reality that I was in this amazing relationship. I was really enjoying it, fancy loads of girls, but then every now and again, something that would sort of come would come in juxtaposition to that, and there'd be a, a, a bloke that I found attractive, and I was like, okay, I don't really know what this means, um, and so I took it away, and it didn't really manifest itself until i guess is a common theme for lots of people until early covid um when i guess the distractions of life were sort of stripped away a bit and it simultaneously i was hitting 40 and i sort of i guess felt like a moment of reflection i was like who you know covid has made you spend a lot of time in your own head thinking I've hit this big juncture as I, as I saw it in my life I've been in happy relationships I've got two kids and I just hit a really low point actually um and I was like there's I'm not being really truly honest with myself and those around me and it, I remember really vividly it hit when I was in Lisbon for my 40th birthday which my other half bought me as a surprise and I just came home and for a few days I was just really low and I think that's when I just started to explore and explore it, open up about it and talk about it and say, actually, I do find men and women attractive. Um, and while the majority of them historically have been women, that's not all of who I am. So I guess the answer, long-winded answer to your question is fairly, fairly late on um, in the last two years that I've been open about it. But I guess it's been, it's always been there really, hasn't it? I think it's probably been there bubbling away for 15 years or so. That's interesting. Really interesting that, um, the, the the pandemic should um create that and you're right there's a lot of people have, have talked about that sort of being a moment that they've sort of started to you know look at themselves and work out what their real identity is but when you were looking back when you look back and you're yeah. saying how you got these relationships with women and great great uh relationship at university and all the rest of it um just on a on a, on a purely <laughs> sexually physical perspective you weren't yeah. having relationships and things but were you you find yourself as it were, turned on by men at different times during that period? Um, I definitely was aware that there were a handful of guys at uni, and it really was, at the time, a relatively modest amount of guys that I found attractive. But 
I, as I said, didn't didn't deal with it in the most mature way. I didn't. I wasn't open about it. I didn't see how it synced with the reality of this other bit of me, um, which I knew was very authentic and honest. So, I, I, yeah, of course, I did fancy other guys and girls. It just this was the reality. But I, I would say at that point, um, it was predominantly predominantly women, to be honest. Um, I'm a big believer that sexuality is quite uh, an evolving, fluid thing, and it does change in time. So I do think it has gone from a relatively modest part of me to something that just really, yeah, equal or not, is is a real part of me and something that really needs to, I need to be open about. Did you? I suppose what I'm getting at. Did you? What was what <laughs> thoughts about men in your in your fantasies, as it were? Was that part uh, of your psyche, as it were, around that time? Not, not really. Much, much more recently, I would say that's been the case. Um, and I think that's partly because I, I felt all my, you know, I think there's a misconception that because I haven't been open about this for 20 years, my mental health must have been really poor. And the reality is, the last two years, it has been really poor. Um, but for a long time during my 20s and 30s, it absolutely wasn't because I was in fulfilled relationships. And I wasn't, I wasn't there thinking, God, there's this other thing that I'm really wanting but I'm not being honest about I don't think it was really I think that's become more prevalent more recently in terms of desire and attraction and recognizing that I guess a part of it is probably because I didn't really allow myself to to go down that route um but but no honestly it wasn't it wasn't a big part I wasn't you know you know enjoying sex with my partners at the time thinking god I'm thinking of something completely different here (laughs) no that's interesting that's very interesting but you know as we keep saying every bisexual journey story is completely different and you're right you know people come to things at different times and sexuality alters and evolves through through time um so okay so you started to come to terms with this or understand this during the pandemic situation did you open up to anybody about it did you talk to anybody about it i did yeah first person i talked to was my other half claire um yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It was a, it was a low time, so I I just sat down on the sofa and just remember saying, like, I I need to open up to you. I'm sort of really grappling with my sexuality. Um, I don't want, don't want you to f- freak out about that. I'm not suggesting in any way that you know I'm gay. I'm leaving you or anything like that. But there's there's perhaps more to me than I've admitted to myself, and it's really important that you know that. And to be honest, and I, she won't mind me saying this at all, Claire is openly bisexual herself. So she has been in relationships, a relationship or maybe more than one before I was on the scene, certainly. Um, and was really just really chilled, supportive and just sort of <laughs> dismissive is in no way the right word. But it's just like, yeah, you're bisexual, right? You know that. <laughs> And I was, it, it, for me, it never sat as comfortably as it did to those around me. But she was very, very supportive and just could see the amount of, I guess, pain that was causing me and confusion and was just my rock, really, just sort of popping me up and giving me a bit of um, support to, to say this is all OK. This is, you know, our little family unit is our family unit. And, you know, we we want to bring our children up to have the values where you can be whoever you are as long as you live authentically so I told my um told Claire I told my mum so my mum came up she could see I was really low and I just sort of just opened up to her 
um and I told my brother and my sister um and I think telling my brother was a really big deal for me because we you know he's he's my best mate um we're into lots of you know really I guess very alpha I hate that phrase completely but that sort of alpha sports stuff that we enjoyed doing together so I, I was worried it might catch him by surprise I was worried he might think I was had been sort of fraudulent with my potential I was which is not the case at all um but it was brilliant I just remember him being like I wish you told me and I wish you hadn't because I've been I've been seeing a counselor and a therapist for about a year just to sort of what you know talk through my identity a little bit and obviously be very open with them so I just wish you told me and he said it just makes no difference to me I love you for who you are and it was just a really affirming moment so and since then, to be honest, I've told a handful of people through sort of my my coaching roles um, and certainly through my therapist stuff. But I've not opened up really broadly to to my close friends yet. Um, so that's that's one for the future, I guess. I think they'll be pretty surprised, but I think it's important that I do that at the right time when I'm I'm ready. Um, so the only real person in my immediate family I haven't told is is my dad, and that probably won't. <laughs> won't be happening anytime soon okay okay what um did, were you were you you were obviously aware of your mm. partner's bisexuality then you'd always you yeah. always been aware of that yeah yeah completely and that just shows how um and you'd how never had a problem we, with it you'd, you'd never had no, a problem with it no no at all and no my, i I've, I've i've suffered with the same things i guess lots of people suffer with it in terms of that internalized biphobia so I don't judge others by the the same sort of harsh standards. I I judge myself a little bit. I've sort of I've really grappled with biphobia internally, but I'd never like never in a world would that cause me any sort of issue with other people. Of course, it wouldn't. So when she told me, I was surprised. It took a little bit of time to took a little bit of a while, admittedly, to think. Gosh, what do, what does that mean? Because I guess she was the first person I'd really known closely at that point who would had opened up to being bisexual um but it quickly just went away and never it didn't become an issue and it's really it was really talked about which isn't a particularly healthy thing to do um and now what's nice is that i feel like in time we can use this as a platform to actually just talk about it a lot more than you know and actually live as a bisexual couple rather than as a <laughs> Uh, to all intents and purposes as, as a very straight presenting couple that we have been because it's it's a real shame and really mentally unhealthy to sort of park a big part of who you are yeah no it's interesting isn't it and it's very interesting um you know the amount of people we've spoken to quite a lot of people as, as you know since the podcast began there's actually very few that we've spoken to who are actually have actually ended up in um relationships with another bisexual most people have yeah. to be in relationships with another gay person or another straight person or whatever, and they're navigating all those issues around it. But you're, I suppose, in a way, you're quite lucky <laughs> you know, yeah. to be in a relationship with a, another bi person. So, and I suppose no, I, I am fully aware of that. Yeah, I really yeah, am. Yeah, I, yeah. She's really, absolutely, really supportive. Um, I, I think she's been surprised because she's so self assured in herself in many ways, and in a way, because she has sexually and emotionally had relationships with women and therefore you know she's she's experienced and therefore it's not this potentially scary thing that someone who's coming to uh, to admit it later on in life who hasn't really physically explored that 
for them, it, for, for me, it's much a bigger thing. She found it quite difficult to see how much it's affected me. And I think, I think that's partly comes back to the sort of the internalized biphobia because however, you know, however different in our values, I think we aspire to be. And certainly I, I'm, I'm feel like I'm very entirely open-minded in every single way. You can't help, but judge yourself by the sort of binary standards that society puts on us. And it, and I've really grappled with, you know, how, how can I be both? How can I, how can I meet the needs of both sides? How can I, God, if I'm, I'm if I'm having this thought or desire about a bloke, does that mean I'm a fraud to be in a relationship with a woman and all of that sort of stuff, which is nonsense, but you have to work your way through to get to a place of comfort and a peace. So I think she's watching me go through that journey and, surprised by how much it's affected me given how self-assured she is but she's she's there and she's she's very aware she's sticking with me which is nice that's fabulous fabulous well it's similar for me in the sense that i've always been in uh relationships or mainly in relationships with men and and i've had periods of time where when i've started to think about women in any way particular shape or form i've always felt guilty that i'm letting the gay side down which is, which yeah. is silly isn't it but that's you know that's, that's we're, we're conditioned in this as you say this binary sort of binary world way to look at things in binary binary way so have you um i mean the, the one thing some people will be listening to this and hmm. you know will be thinking to themselves well if he's not had uh, uh <laughs> you know, much relationships with many relationships with men and not had sex with men or whatever then predominantly yeah. he's straight kind of thing you know um have you talked about that have you thought about that side of it you know do you you know is this a case of you accepting your identity as an individual in terms of you know who you are who you might fancy who you you're just your general identity or does this you know are you have you got a desire to act on this is what i'm trying to say yeah, no, it's a good question. So I think that the simple answer for me is really about identity. It's really about accepting accepting who I am. And for me, if I can get to a place of comfort and a peace with that, then that's that's absolutely that's all I really aspire to do because I'm really happy in my um relationship. So I don't feel the need to go out and physically explore it. I don't need feel the need to be for me personally, and I, I'm again really supportive of it but for me it's all the the notion of ethanol non-monogamy doesn't doesn't quite fit the the lifestyle we have or the values for me that we've built our little unit around so I don't think I I would but I think what I really need to do is to not feel guilt and shame for for the thoughts I'm having or for bringing those desires into conversation or for maybe exploring them within the confines of sort of you know our of our couple um so i think uh i think in terms of that validation question i, th- I think what i found really really assuring really affirming about this podcast in particular but about the bio community actually is there is no hard and fast set of rules so right there isn't a door entry policy where there's a bounce on the door saying you must have slept with 50 women and 50 blokes to qualify the reality is no one can tell you other than yourself whether you are bisexual or not and i'm telling people i am right so it doesn't to me it whilst that you know you can always feel like an imposter right i feel i sometimes carry that guilt of feeling like a imposter living in a very straight facing relationship knowing that i have um desires for for both sexes or for for any sex really and gender so you could uh, you can become 
take that further and feel like an imposter that I don't really belong in this community because I haven't explored it physically. And I just think that's that's hopefully not the way we as a community want to be thinking because I am bisexual. I do, I do find men and women attractive, whether I explore that physically, have done, am doing or will do in the future is, is, isn't to me relevant it's it's about sexuality and identity rather than physical sex um yeah no, some, some people might disagree yeah. yeah no i get that i, I agree, absolutely fully agree with the team at bisexual project we completely agree with you 100 so you're, you're at home here don't worry <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but did, did you at any point way way back did you have end up in did you have any relation liaisons with men when you were a teenager or anything like that uh no um no i didn't really um no, I haven't ever really. So it's completely new, new territory, really, in terms of opening up about it. Um, I've never, never really doubled at all, but it is, it's there. So, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And so, in terms of your conversation with with, with your partner, then, yeah, as you say, you 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 can now freely talk to her about her sexuality. You, she could talk to you now about your sexuality. Have you have you actually started that conversation? Are you are you having more sort of open and honest chats about you know who you fancy or who she might fancy or those kind of things? Um I think it's uh not really in terms of bringing it to life. I don't think we have and I think that's on me really because it's just it's a slow burn for me to to sort of sort of work this into my, the fabric of my day to day I think for her it's really interesting because it for me I you know she can see that this does uh, absorb a lot of my 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 headspace and has done um and particularly over the last year sort of you know you wake up thinking about it and you and it you know it's there a lot during the day whereas for her she's so self-assured that the reality is she says she thinks about her sexuality maybe like once a year (laughs) twice a year because it it isn't a thing for her so you know she um and for me it is and I think the reason it is more for me is because I and it's interesting to know what other how other people live and breathe their bisexuality but for me I think it's it's very much a a wave it it comes in waves so it's not like I'm walking down the street and it's like 50 50 and there's some you know and it's 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 not an issue because some guy it's it's very much about periods of time so I have spent most of my life feeling fundamentally attracted to women and now I will then we'd be periods where that's the case but then there'll be periods where it's it's less the case and I'm 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 acknowledging my attraction to men in that in that period of time and that's the bit I just need to get more comfortable with because that's the bit I struggle with when you're having a wave of a few weeks or days of feeling that way how you, you do feel very as you said guilty about being in <laughs> a relationship and feeling god what does this mean so i think that's that's the bit for work for me to work on is in how do you how do you sort of feel anchored when those waves your waves of sexuality change in any given day or in any given week or in any given month but no we haven't yet but i'd like to think that we can she's super supportive like i sort of when i started opening up a bit i sort of retrenched a little bit and she and she's like well do you just you just need to express lose yourself more like we've got we've got loads of friends and we've got lovely like gay friends I wouldn't say I know any bi bi friends other than one which I can tell you about in a minute but we've got lots of gay friends who we spend lots of time with we you know I read lots of you know bi literature and watch lots of sort of not lots but whatever there is sort of 
by by friendly um, LGBTQ plus supportive TV. So it, it's for her. She's like, the more you do this, the more you will feel like this is just really a normal part of who you are. So it's just not yet, but I really think we will. Yeah. The answer to the that's interesting. Well, keep in touch and let us know how that goes because it would be really interesting to, to, to know. Because I think uh, I think there is this question in a lot of people's minds about the thing of what bisexual identity is, but also what it means in practice. And I think a lot of people yeah. can't necessarily get their heads around that sometimes, mainly because society conditions you to think in a particular way. Um, yeah. And I think that's often often an issue. The other the other thing I was going to mention was that you, you obviously we talk about sexuality and everyone thinks of sex when they think of sexuality. Yeah. Obviously, sexuality is more than that. It's about you know it's about how you you know the attraction you have with other people on an emotional side and things like that. Yeah. Have there been over time? Have you you know people often talk about between men bromance and things like that. Have you mm. got men over over the years who you've had? you know you felt close to i don't necessarily mean sexually but you felt you know you could tell that you know if if it was a case of your partner wasn't around and you were free to go out and you know mingle and meet people what i'm what i suppose what i'm trying to say is you yeah. you recognize like a lot of women recognize yeah. there's an affinity between or can be a, an emotional affinity between men uh yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think there can be. Have I, have I, it's not really, I think most of my emotional connections have been uh, with women. Um, and that's probably why we've um, somehow, despite my flaws, I managed to hold down long-term relationships because there has, they've been built on real sort of emotional connection. I often think about this. I do look back at, for little clues along the way at sort of friendships and I think, uh you know was there was there more to that friendship than maybe i thought of at the time and i, I don't think there really was since university that that certainly hasn't been the case but i look back at at, at school and think got you know maybe maybe was there one or two early signs actually those friendships could have been more i, I don't know really um i definitely believe there can be and i definitely believe um and you know who knows what the future holds in terms of you know close connections with men but I think for me I think the the, the main sort of anchors in my life which is probably reflects that sort of that point around women providing that emotional connection for me in relationship terms has been with have been with women you know my dad was not on the scene for a long time really so I'm obviously very close to my mum very close to my sister I'm actually really really close to my brother as well but most of my emotional connections have been uh, with women. It, it's more just acknowledging the physical attraction is is far less binary than that. Far less, yeah. What do you see then in terms of, you know, you're obviously on a journey trying to come to terms with things. And yeah. it strikes me that you have come to terms with quite a lot. And you're obviously yeah. accepted by your partner, which is wonderful. It's fantastic. And a lot of people, as I said, don't get to that point. So, you know, a lot of people are in relationships where they literally cannot talk to their partner or tell the partner that they're bisexual at all. So you're in a relationship with somebody who's also bisexual. So that opens yeah. up lots of opportunities if you wanted to go in different routes. Yeah. And obviously you two have got, you, you can you can explore that uh, together. But what do you hope to get out of this journey that you're going on at the moment? Say in a year's time, where would you like to feel that you are in terms of your how you think about it you know you obviously told a few people does it does it will it is it important to you that more people know that actually when i think it is they see you as bisexual as opposed to seeing you as a straight man as it were yeah i think yeah so i quiz myself a few times on what 
I hope to get out of this because as you say I could happily carry on living a predominantly heteronormative existence because I'm in a relationship with a woman and um but and I guess that's maybe why a lot of challenge comes at the bi community from from the straight but also the gay community because I think you can hide behind this veil of anonymity and I think for me it started off in a fairly selfish way I needed I needed to talk about it to feel in a better place because my mental health is pretty poor so I needed to be able to talk about it in order to you know feel like I was living authentically because if you don't if you aren't at peace with yourself you've got no chance really so that was the first point but now I feel like the the role I can play is bigger than that because I'm fortunate in that you know I've you know I've come from a fairly privileged place you know I have the the luxury of being born in a democracy I'm you know I'm male I'm white and well educated all of this stuff gives me really real privileges that so many people don't have and I feel like it's incumbent on me in a way in my own discreet tactful way to to use that to try and create a, a slightly easier place for those who just don't have that and I'm not saying I'm ever going to be the person you know flying the flag at the very front of the group because my natural personality isn't like that anyway it's fairly it's fairly you know uh quiet by nature but I do feel like there's a really important thing that I can do and I haven't quite figured out how that is but through talking more and being more open to try and normalize it for people who undoubtedly are going through or have gone through the same you know doubts confusions uncertainty so I really think it's important and to be honest I'm a dad and I think I really one people if someone asked me about my identity I feel I, I think by dad is straight away the thing that comes to me because I think I want my kids to absolutely know that it's okay to be whoever you want to be it's okay to love whoever you want to love it's okay to feel attracted to whoever you want to feel attracted whoever you feel attracted to because that's not a choice um and to just to just be at peace with yourself and 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 not have to feel like you belong in a box because society really struggles with gray doesn't it It really struggles if it's not black or white it's not this box or that box and i think it's really important that so I think that's it. That's the legacy I think I've got to have first and foremost for my kids and then beyond that. And I think it's, it is plausible. I work for a really forward thinking uh, organization at work, you know, I'm on the edge of their inclusion group and that's very, very strongly focused on EDI. And there's a big LG, well, there's, there's a big open community within the workplace actually. And it's a really f- important part of the values of the organization actually. So I, there's plenty of scope for me to play as big or as little as a role I yeah. as I want to really which is nice Fantastic. Um, and I'm I, yeah yeah no absolutely that's it's really good it's really good and, and it's interesting that you thought about that um you mentioned earlier on about one bi person that you know um we'll talk about him in a second I presume it's him um <laughs> but mm. you know the, like all of us I think not all of us but a lot of us I think we're bisexual. We declare on bisexuality. We're, you know, me and Nikki and Lewis, obviously, are in a different, slightly different position than most people are bisexual because we're definitely open and everyone knows and all the rest of it. But we know very few people. You know, none of us yeah. know it. I've, I've no, we, you know, there obviously are people, there are obviously tons of bisexual people out there. We know that, but we know yeah. very few people, you know. So, you, as you're saying, you know, people in your circle of friends who are gay, lesbian, and all the rest of it, you, you know, very, very easily. But how many so how many you know how many people do you think in your circle do you think could be bisexual are there other people you suspected 
Um, tricky. Yeah, I think I think there's plenty of women who I know who are bisexual or certainly have, um, even if that's not where they end up ultimately have explored their sexuality with multiple genders. Um, some people really close to me, actually. Um, in terms of in terms of blokes, I, I really wouldn't. I, I really don't know. I I like to think, and I'm sure there is a much bigger population than are openly bisexual. Of course, there is. I mean, logic and stats point to that. Um, but I look closely within my in my sort of friendship groups and beyond, and think, and often think, are there other people like me who have grappled with it, or just were taking the time to acknowledge it themselves, or be honest publicly? Um, and it's not like there's a group of people I can immediately point to and think, I know, I know. Um, but th- th- there, there must be. Um, but and it's, it's anecdotal, I think. But of, but of course, there, there, there absolutely is. And I think for me, that's the big one. Is And it's why I feel quite passionate about this sub-community of bisexuality, which is around by dads. Because I think, in a way, that's, that's probably a community that doesn't feel that comfortable to come out. I think it's very different and i think i know lots of younger people in their 20s and 30s who are beautifully and amazingly proud and open about who they are and what a wonderful thing that is um but i think in that 40 plus bracket of dads in particular blokes in particular who are in heteronormative relationships who have gone chosen a pathway which they're very happy if they've chosen not because they felt that they've pushed into it and now they're like oh crikey what we done who are happy in that relationship and that setup who realise there's probably more to them than there are. It's just finding them and tapping tapping into them because they're hard to find, trust me. <laughs> yeah, slowly but surely. We're, we're bisexual bunch is slowly but surely yeah. bringing them out slowly. No, which is fantastic, yeah. <laughs> which is good, which is good. No, it's, it's great that you're talking to us. So tell us about this other bisexual person then, this other bisexual guy, is it? Well, thank, yeah, yeah, it's thanks to you guys, really. So um, I've listened like, attentively to the podcast for a couple of years and and I love the the variety of stories and personalities and backgrounds that you get. Um, but I'm always particularly intrigued. I'm always particularly, you know, you, you, you link to your, to those that are most similar to your situation. And whenever there's a, a bloke speaking, um, particularly those who've lost them later and come to accept their sexuality later, um, you know, I think, oh, great. I really, I really like to reach out to that person because um, wouldn't it be amazing if I could form my own little face-to-face community um and i don't sure remember mentioning it but i meant um mike was on your show i think back end of 2022 so not that long ago and he was uh you might remember he did photography stuff and um he's running this bi affinity project about um people who are openly bisexual but in heteronormative relationships and trying to bring visibility to the invisible um and he was in bristol and i was like okay so I um, and he was quite actively looking for people to to support his project. So I reached out to him, and it, as it turns out, he, he lives about half a mile away from where I lived previously before I moved down down to the Mendip. So he's a couple of junctions away. So I I reached out to him, met up with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we just went for a really nice two or three hour walk. And we just loads and loads in common, which is great. Both got a couple of kids, both in relationship with women, both very open now or increasingly open and with their partners and with each other about I don't want to speak on his behalf obviously but about their bisexuality and really similar interests actually in terms of hobbies and stuff so it was really affirming 
and how depressing that my my tally is now my other half and someone I have met through this plus probably a couple of others and hopefully that community can grow but I'd like to think there'll be people listening obviously of a very different background who are very uh, maybe much more justifying of being in the bi community in terms of their sexual experiences than I am but I'm hoping there's people out there who are listening on the periphery and just think I've got, I've got something in common with this guy and wouldn't it be nice if I can just be a bit more open? Because I, I think that is the key for me. I think honesty and integrity is a real part of who I am and that's why it's been a bit of a heavy burden not quite accepting it all. But as soon as I talk to Claire, and I know a lot of people aren't in that position and just can't, so I, I totally empathise with that. But it has, for me, a luxury really in terms of being weightlifted and just being able to be who you are and then as you've gone back to your original question in time you know we can that's an opportunity isn't it for us to 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 find a way to explore and bring life to that whatever in the bedroom or, or whatever oh yeah absolutely well it's great that you managed to meet up with mike fantastic we've uh we've really lovely guy really lovely guy we've taken bisexual brunch to another level there that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah really good, really good. <laughs> we could we could start we could start a dating uh section yeah <laughs> that's, that's really that's really good so do you do you think you're 41 um yeah. and so many people are telling us stories where they're in the 30s 40s 50s and beyond and only just coming to terms with it and sort of realizing their sexuality do you i mean you've obviously had a very fulfilled um you know, relationship and sexual sex life and all the rest of it for quite a long time with your partner and all the rest of it. Um, but are there things which you regret having not been in a position to, I suppose, accept and understand your bisexuality from a much younger age? Uh, yes. Uh, yes and no. So from, from a physical sense, have I felt like I've missed out? No, I don't feel like for 20 years there's just been this martial sorry massive sexual desire that i've just tucked away tucked away tucked away so the answer to that is no and although interesting now as i've opened up i feel those desires are more prevalent because i'm allowing them to be and so now it's really important that i allow that to manifest in whatever way it it is appropriate rather than just sort of going well i've told everyone now but i'll just tuck it away that's just not 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 appropriate but in terms of do i have any regrets around uh the mental health side of things and yeah of course because i think i wouldn't win- wish it on anyone and i'm sure it's a really common theme to get to your 40s or you know for some people but i mean sadly much much later 60s 70s and hit this mental brick wall and fall off a cliff i was really in a low place and and i don't think that's great for anyone so i think it's i wish that i had felt more comfortable earlier on to just um just be honest about it just be explore it talk about it and and i think the re the real reason was because i didn't really know what bisexuality was and it's such a common thing isn't it it just wasn't on my radar i had these thoughts now and again throughout my 20s and 30s and i was like this makes that means i'm gay i mean it must mean i'm gay and it, it's a really heavy weight on your mind when you're in a relationship with someone who you're really attracted to and really love you know this other thing that's potentially you know scuppers it all and well how beautifully refreshing that there is actually this thing that isn't one or the other that allows you to be who you are and allows you to maintain your relationship if that's what makes you happy 
if it doesn't then fine you have to front up to that but if it makes you happy then then you can be both or all or whatever you want to be in whatever form you want to be and that's it i hope it's much easier for people going forward now that bisexuality is hopefully slowly isn't we've only got a long way to go but slowly becoming more normalized accepted and recognized as a i hate the phrase label but you know yeah, had, had I known about bisexually 20 years ago, I think I probably would have been a bit more. I wouldn't say it would have changed my relationships. I would have still very had a very happy relationship, but I would have um, certainly not got to 40 and gone. Yeah, I'm not in a good yeah. place. <laughs> yeah. You said something a second ago about you realizing that, you know, some of these thoughts that you have not enacted on earlier on in life. And now they're coming to you and you're starting to think about them more. Yeah. So d- does that say that, are you saying that, anything physical is not necessarily ruled out in the future or do you think it i mean well i've i'm claire and i engage so you know i'm want to spend my life over there so i think that's um that in a way sort of (laughs) says the direction of travel that i've chosen to take we've chosen to take of course you can explore it within the context of that relationship that's not something that we've talked about or i I particularly want to do to be honest um for me as I said it's around identity rather than physical exploration but you know who knows what life happens if Claire decides doesn't want to be with me anymore <laughs> I'm yeah depressingly sat at home in a flat by myself then you, you, I just don't know you never know do you who knows what the future you know what relationship you will one day enter into but I try not to think about that because I'm you know quite happy where I am yeah, yeah. but I think what's really key is that it is interesting that I've never really had these strong sexual desires other than going, Oh, I, I do quite fancy that guy, but I don't, Oh gosh, I don't know what, I don't know what that means. What do I do with that? Park it away, park away. And now sort of I've opened the door to being open about who I am. And that, that has led to, you know, much more physical thoughts in my mind. And it's, it's really important, I think, that I'm honest about that and not feel in any way ashamed or guilty. Why should I? So, and and to give to to give space to them, whatever that means. You know, you can, you know, you don't have to go and do something about it. This is, I think, this is something that I feel quite strongly about in terms of this validation point. You know, there's plenty of girls I've fancied over the years. I haven't done anything about because I value my relationship. Or, you know, that's not to to demonise non-monogamy at all. But from my point of view, I've chosen not to. So I don't feel I need to do it, but I do need to, if I want to use my imagination, or I want to bring it to life in some way and with Claire, whatever, or if I want to watch a TV program and do, you know, that's, that's all okay. Whereas tw- 10 years ago, I would have just turned it off and parked it away. So that in itself is progress. Yeah. But am I now going to go and start physically doing stuff with or without Claire's consent? I, I don't think, no, I just don't think that's, that's just doesn't work for our relationship, but it, it, yeah. it does work for lots of people which is great yeah no, i understand that, i understand that so it's a journey that you're both going on really isn't it in a way you know you're both you're both set up on a journey now in a way because she's never until now she didn't realize your bisexuality or did she yeah did she, she, she said whether or not she really suspected <laughs> you were or not uh that's a really good question that's not something i've ever asked her i'll go and ask her that um i don't think i don't think she has uh i've i guess i have hinted at it before um certainly not with not with Claire but in my previous long-term relationship it never came up uh at all um 
that was a really sexually fulfilling relationship prior to that when I first got to uni and it's you know it's that that sort of blossoming blossoming of who you are and you start meeting all sorts of people and communities I guess that opened my eyes to new world as it does for any 18 year old and I remember having a conversation with my uh, girlfriend at the time it was only about a year long not a great one <laughs> and saying um yeah just hinting at it by saying oh yeah I I you know I can recognize when a guy's good looking I can recognize that almost like in the same way that women say oh we she's beautiful isn't she just guys just don't haven't historically done that street guys don't and that was my way I guess of hinting at the fact that "Mm, I find that person potentially attractive I want to sort of talk about it but I don't quite know how to talk about it and I don't want you to freak out that this means anything in the context of our relationship and that never went any further she sort of laughed it off actually went oh I don't think you're gay (laughs) and it never went any further to be honest um but I'm sure lots of people, lots. I, I know other people over the years have, have, yeah, have said, oh, wait, do you think you're gay and stuff like this? So they've obviously, for whatever reason, picked up on something that within me um, that that maybe I hadn't been fully open with. But well, it is the that, fact that the, the fact that they say, you know, or have always said, it's frustrating. You're, you're, yeah. you're gay rather than think you're bi. You know? Yeah. Nobody ever thinks about that. You know, that's the thing. Isn't no, it? exactly. And that is frustrating. Yeah. It is frustrating. And it's that, that one or two there. Yeah, absolutely. So what about your, so how old are your kids? Uh, we got a four-year-old lad and a seven-year-old uh, little girl. Okay. Yeah. So they're pretty young, pretty young at the moment. Yeah. But, but yeah. at some point when they get older, you, I presume you, the trajectory is that you're going to be, you're going to be quite proud to be able to say that you, they've got a bi mom and a bi dad. Yeah, well, Claire told them this morning. Actually, she said, "Oh, Daddy's doing a doing a radio show," um, because that's what they understand. And they were like, "Oh, brilliant! I can't wait. Can I hear it? What's it about?" And she was like, "It's about um, Daddy talking about the importance of loving whoever you want to be, and and you know, being yourself and loving whoever you want to love." And it sounds a bit corny, doesn't it? But that is the that is a really important value in our family, and I think. You know, you can you can already see it with my little seven year old lad. He doesn't follow um, sort of gender norms and stuff. You can see, you know, he is just who he is, and that's the beauty of being a kid. They don't they don't feel defined by what society tells them they have to be, and he just is what he is. And I can just sort of something about him. I can just see. To be honest, in twenty years' time, ten years' time, twelve, whatever. I can see him coming to me and just saying, Daddy, I'm not, yeah, or Dad at that point. I'm not, you know, I've been thinking about who I am. And I'd like, I'm really excited about being able to say to him, I won't, if and when he does, you probably, you may never, but if he does talk to me about sexuality, I won't steal his thunder at that time. But I'm looking forward to being able to say, well, you might not have known this about your dad, actually, but I'm attracted to men and women and it's a really important part of who I am. And, and so is your mum. And we're, uber supportive of that so um you know we're going to take him to the pride festivals in in bristol and western in july i think that that's just we i want him to be brought up yeah just sharing those those values to be honest i think it's just yeah i'm excited to tell him about that yes fantastic fantastic well when you go to pride in bristol or whatever it is 
Uh, just bear in mind the latest statistics, which suggest that Bristol and Bath and all that area is among, you know, one of the biggest areas of uh, in terms of people who identify as B, as the bisexual, yeah. more so than L and G. Uh, but of course, you don't know where they are. So <laughs> when you're wandering around, you probably realise there's a lot more people than you think in that area. It's one of the bigger. Yeah, bigger I, I'm I'm no doubt about that in Bristol. I've absolutely no doubt about it. It's a really cosmopolitan, forward-thinking, open-minded city. So yeah, yeah it's of no surprise to me at all. Um, but it, it is interesting, as you say, that the beef is becoming more prevalent than than but, the but gay. Sadly, but sadly, they're hidden, so they don't. So they yeah. you're connect. You've managed to connect with with Mike. You know, very yeah. few people are managing to connect with each other, which is which is what we need to change, really, isn't it? That's what we need to do. We need to try and get a community going, really, in a way. You think about it. It, it does because you know we're we're human beings, aren't we? And human beings are built around interaction and community. And it's this podcast and and meeting people like Mike and. Um, having a a partner who's so supportive and have been through bisexual journey is um is just really important you know mm-hmm. it, it's a nor- it's normalizing it's affirming it's it's enriching it's all the things that you need to feel whole um so without those communities people will just really struggle so i'm yeah i definitely love it i would i would love to work to find a way to have <laughs> by even even like a a, a, a blokes um, men or um or a by dad's group in the west country and just feel that yeah they're, they're part of something you know and yeah, absolutely and it doesn't have to be about dads because actually sort of gender is completely irrelevant i'm just focusing on my on my own experience i guess and yeah. yeah no absolutely absolutely well good luck with it and i'm glad you've contacted us thank you for sharing your story um it, it, it's it's so interesting hearing so many different stories i mean so yeah. many people come to it in a different way every single story i hear is different you know it's it's it's, it's amazing and um but i just wish we could be in a, in a situation whereby you know we all have people to talk to on a regular basis you know and we you know it's changing as you say but I think, you know, we're a long way from having, you know, buy bars or even buy apps or buy buy anything really that's specifically buy. There's a few programs now on TV and things that are emerging, but yeah, you know, not many not many. But hopefully that will change over time. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think for me that that's really important. And it doesn't it doesn't have to be for me based around this premise of sex as the leading factor. So if I if I want to go to a bike community, it's because I want to meet you know like-minded people and talk about the 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 best bits all the hard bits of being bisexual and to feel safe doing that and to meet friendships and allies and and supporters and and that's for me as opposed to feeling like i'm going there with a, an intention to get you know, a bit of action on the side <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, so that, the final question and often i ask the same question at the end which is you know what is it then about getting to this point you know what? What is it that makes you happy? What 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 is it about being? What's great about being bisexual and finally realizing that you can, you know, wear that label with pride, as it were. Um, yeah. So I think it's 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 that first one about being the role model I aspire to be for my kids. Um, the second one about using that that position of privilege, I guess a lot of us have, to make it a bit easier for those who who don't have that and are really 
grappling with you know you know how how can they be themselves in with religious constrictions or with sort of partners who aren't supportive with facing violence in their society all of that stuff um and also it's quite nice to put a bit of a finger up to society now and again and just say yeah you can you know you can take your binary rules and you can you can impose them on us as on me as, as you see fit but i am who i am absolutely jeremy that was lovely thank you very much indeed nice to talk to you nice thanks actually cheers and now it's time to ask a bisexual so ask a bisexual this time is from jeff from morpeth in the northeast of england he says i've been in a gay facing relationship for nearly 25 years i'm 45 i've never even looked at a woman except i did have a bit of a fun with girls when i was in my late teens that fizzled out and i got well and truly into the gay world had a promiscuous phase, but eventually settled with my on-off partner. I was always more attracted to men, and nothing has changed, really. But recently, I got talking to a woman on Grinder. She's 35, recently single, and wants to experience bi men rather than straight men. It's a sort of experiment, I guess, for her. The question is, should I take the plunge? I can't even remember what to do with a woman, to be honest. I can't tell my partner, but I'm definitely curious. Um, and I do realise that I'm still attracted to women. Any advice? Well, I think straight away, the thing I can't tell my partner stands out for me. I don't think you should take the plunge with someone else if your partner isn't aware that or has agreed to an open relationship. And, you know, and I know that's like a very sensible, boring thing to say, but as someone who speaks to divorced people on a regular basis who've been cheated on and the heartache and all of that it's yes honesty very much matters and all, and also you know you're prejudging how your partner might react without giving them the benefit of the doubt so i would also so i think first and foremost is have a conversation with your partner and then if that is all okay or organized or you break up or you have an open relationship or you know whatever is sorted there that means that you can take the plunge with someone new I think if you're interested and intrigued and want to give it a go and it sounds like a bit of an experiment of them wanting to give it a go as well it sounds like a good match of you both and I think if you could both be like honest about it of like I haven't done this for 20 years or whatever, or like, I don't really know, you know, what I'm doing. So maybe if you could tell me what you want, like having that communication in a sexual experience can be really nice and kind of enlightening. And and then you might do it and decide never to do it again. But I think if you are in, intrigued and you want to give it a go and everything's kind of set up for that and there are some boundaries maybe put in place, then go for it. What's interesting about this, though, Lewis, is that uh, often we're talking, oh, we've talked a lot this year, actually, about women being very anti-having uh, a relationship or sexual encounter with a bi man. And here you are, we've got a woman who has actively gone out to go on grinder to try and find a bi man to, to date. That uh, was quite different, yeah. isn't it? The propaganda's working. Um, <laughs> look, so a few things on this one. So I would, I do agree with Sam. Obviously, you know, talk to your partner, that whole thing. Although, and I might have misread this. So I read, this, I read the question earlier. So are they in an open relationship? That was no. my 
they're not no they're, they're, not, they're not an open relationship they're in a they're in a um a gay facing relationship but it just happens that he was he had relations or he did things with women when he was a teenager hasn't but really why is he on grinder if they've not got an open relationship well so. there's a question you see probably okay right, well none of my business um, well, look, people. Let, let me just admit. Let me just say to this. Say this to you for a second. As somebody who is in a gay facing relationship, um, and with 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 a gay man, um, both me and my partner do occasionally go on Grinder, not to do anything, just to have a look. So it, that does happen where people do on Grinder and start talking and have you know chat to people and things like that. So it's not as if anyone's everyone's out there shagging necessarily. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm just just making that point because we don't know the exact circumstances of this guy. Go on. Fine. Fine. Um, so that's that. So then my other thing would be, you know, the theme there for me is that is the common theme with bisexuality is this idea of being inferior or not being enough. Um, this idea, you know, I, so many bi people, I'm not bi enough. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not straight enough to be taken seriously as I'm not gay enough to be like this whole thing of like, oh, we're just never enough. We're not, we're sort of, you know inferior in a certain way that we believe it ourselves and that just needs to stop literally if it's all allowed in the parameters of the relationship you know if you are taking if you're thinking about this to the point where you have written in to a podcast that's what do you think i think get out there and go and give it a try right because the worst that's going to happen is it's going to be terrible and then it'll be a funny story that you tell you know in a few years time you know give it a go why not like why? Because otherwise, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to always be thinking about, oh, what would have happened if I'd have gone and met that girl? Well, that, that opportunity's gone now. You know, go and do it. Be safe. Um, it might go terribly wrong, but just don't put that pressure on yourself. Tell yourself it probably will go terribly wrong, and then everything that happens from there that doesn't go terribly wrong is a plus. But absolutely, what Sam says, to be honest, I think is is important there. Really, um, mm-hmm. I mean. The problem, slight problem with being honest, I suppose, on this one is that it might kill off the opportunity completely. Do you know what I mean? If that partner is completely horrified by the whole thing, the 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 guy might decide I'm not doing it at all, and therefore they don't experience the. the do you know what I mean? It's like the only thing that came into my head with, with this whole thing because because I, I in my head I thought that they were in a in an openish relationship. Apparently they're not. Um, it was just I've definitely, you know, I've definitely seen that in the bi space where you know there's two men, one's gay, one's bi, and the gay one stamps on any um, bisexuality yeah. that the bi one wants to exploit. It's like if you want to go off and have a threesome with two other guys, that's fine, but don't ever let me catch you with a woman because who, what woman would want you? You're not man enough for them. Why would they come to you when like you're such a gay and like? You know, they could have a real straight man. They've definitely seen that toxic stuff going on. So it's almost like if that, if you know that's a response you're going to get from a gay partner, but they would be fine if it, if that person had a penis. So I'm a bit like, mm, I wouldn't tell them. <laughs> I know that's naughty, but it's like, no, you, well, you deal with your own biphobia on your own time. I see. Well, there's, there's biphobia, but there's also the other issue, isn't there? Where, where you, you know, after such a long time in a relationship, which looks as though it's been, well, it wasn't at the beginning, but from what I can tell, it's it's from, from what I'm saying, it has been fairly monogamous up to around now, up to now. Um, get somebody then going off of, and ending up with a woman. We have to talk about this, don't we? How people see threats from having you know relations with one 
gender or another. I, although I don't necessarily agree with that because I don't, I don't think it is a threat, but I can see the other person thinking it might be. Do you know what I mean? Suddenly, have they got bored with with having a man? Have they got bored with being in a, a relationship with a with a man and actually just want to? They really actually want women. Do you, do you know where I'm coming from, Sam? Yeah, I think. I think the problem there, though, is you can't make everyone happy. So if you're stopping making yourself happy to keep your partner happy because you think that their bi- biphobia might play into it, then I just think that's not a good situation for you and you're the important person here. Um, and also, you know, maybe they could have a conversation with their partner and not mention gender, but just have a conversation about I'm really interested in exploring you know, something sexual with someone else. How do you feel about that? And and then, you know, at least they the permissions there or the conversation's been had. And then if if the gender is a problem, then again that that's about their partner, not really them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that from Sam. You found you found the sweet spot. You found the the honey <laughs> zone or whatever it is. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, of course, if you've uh, got something you want to bring up with us and ask us please do contact us at any time, uh, no matter what it is. It can be something serious, it can be something silly. It can be anything, absolutely. And we're here to answer your Ask a Bisexual questions. Ready to ask a question of your own? Send an email now to info at madeinmanchester.tv and in the subject line say, for the attention of Bisexual Brunch, and you might get featured on a future show. Don't be shy, they won't bite. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. So, yeah, another Bisexual Brunch. Thanks, Sam, for joining us uh, again. It's been a pleasure to have you. Um, when we next speak to you at some point in the future, uh, you're going to be a mummy, aren't you? Yes. Well, I think I'm a mum now because I've carried a baby for ages. But um, but yeah, h- hopefully I will have a nice, healthy child with me, near me, hanging off my boob, whatever it is, <laughs> next time we speak. Have you, uh, have you, you, you thought of a name? No, I, well, I've got a bit of a list, but I want to I wanna see her first. Right, okay. And get an idea, but yeah. Get an idea, yeah. Well, I uh, hope you come up with it with quicker than uh, my uh, partner's um, uh, brother, who took about a week to come up with the name for theirs recently. Which is, uh, I mean, it's fine. Obviously, you don't necessarily have to decide straight away, do you? But it just become a bit sort of, you know, you, you're ringing them up and talking to them, and you're just calling it it or the baby. Or <laughs> I've heard that this is a thing. This happens quite often as people can't decide. So I can't <laughs> promise that I'll decide quickly. But you've got some you've got a few you've got a few on the card. Yeah, there's a list and there's some favourites. So and are you draw you don't have to say what they are, but are you drawing from the past or more more recent names or you you sort of because a lot of older names seem to be coming through these days, don't they? Yeah, no, not older names. No, no. No. What, what happened with you, Lewis? Because you obviously had to go through this in terms of... Uh, so we knew we were having a girl with Maisie and we literally, it took forever, like literally went through the 100 most popular British girl names, American girl names, Australian girl names, Jamaican girl names. Like literally it was like constant. Um, 
hated everything. There were a couple of names that, you know, that were floating about, but none that none that we all liked. And I literally I remember we were in bed and I don't know where it came from. My other half was like, what about Maisie? And I was like, yes. Like literally, it was like sort of instant. And I was like, yes. And it's such a weird one. Cause we were like, well, if she doesn't like Maisie, she can call herself Maze. So it can be shortened. Um and it just like oh, everyone really liked it. And I literally I was saying to my other half the recently, I was like, I love our kids' names. Like I've not, I've not, it's not like I've named them then. And I'm like, oh no. With Hugo, it was easier because there were a couple of boy names we liked. Like we really liked Hugo. We had this moment where we liked Hunter. I don't know what we were thinking. Thank God we didn't do that. <laughs> um, and then we liked Dylan um as like a, a name. So it was like oh, it was no street, but Hugo just for something there's something about Hugo and he really suits his name well, as well. The thing is, I mean, I'm not I'm not bothered about having kids and but I, I always think to myself, you know, you've you you people have you people who have had kids, having kids, you've got such a responsibility when it comes to naming somebody, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know what's really can, funny? I can haul them for the rest of their life. I know. <laughs> You know what's really funny? My sister always says, um, so when she was um when my mom was pregnant with her, they wanted to call her Amber. And then when she was born, they're like, she doesn't look like an Amber. So they <laughs> called her Abby. And my sister didn't know this. I feel like it was re- like it was only within the last few years. I was like, oh, they were gonna call you Amber. And she was like, What? She was like, So many people I meet think that my name should have been Amber, and so do I. Like, why did they call me Abby? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> I'm the opposite. When I found out that my parents are gonna call me Sarah, no offense to any Sarahs, but I was fuming. I was like, I am not a Sarah. What? What What are you doing with your lives? And when I found out what they were going to call my sister, I was like, my sister had a whole load of really cool names that she could have been called. And you were just going to call me Sarah. I mean, I've offended all Sarahs now, but I'm just not a Sarah. <laughs> no, you're not a Sarah. You're definitely a Sarah. I, I was almost Aaron. That oh, was the no, you, I think you made a good Aaron, actually. Oh, I quite like Aaron, And if yeah. I was um, a girl, I was going to be called Storm after an X-Man, a woman, I guess. <laughs> well, oh, I was called God, Ashley. That's cool. I was called Ashley after Gone with the Wind, the film Gone with the Wind. There's an Ashley in Gone with the Wind. Uh, but I'm quite glad that I wasn't a girl. I mean, I, I'm obviously Ashley could be a girl's name as well. But I'm glad, if I'd been a girl, I was going to be called Tiffany. Oh, Tiffany. wow. I'm quite glad I... <laughs> I'm actually I don't see you as a Tiffany. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> this program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.